0: Hello, Gamination. GM Hurley here. Tonight's episode of the Forge a Genesis RPG podcast is brought to you by the generous donation of Jason Holloway, as well as all of our other amazing Patreon supporters. If you would like to become part of the Forge community, you can learn more at Patreon.com forward slash Forge Genesis. And as for as little as two dollars a month, you can help support us in continuing to provide you with amazing Genesis role playing game content. Thank you to all of our fans for reblogging, retweeting, sharing our latest episodes, along with those who offer support and encouragement for this podcast. It truly is appreciated by both Chris and myself. For now, however, it's time for another episode of The Forge, a Genesis RPG podcast. Correctly with the correct amount. Twenty Radio, your gamers' role. WWW dot twenty radiocom Welcome. To the Forge. Hello, Gemination, and welcome to The Forge, a Genesis RPG podcast covering everything that you need to know about the latest and greatest in Edge Studios' Genesis Foundry and the Genesis role-playing game. I'm your host, GM Hurley, and this episode will be an absolute cracker as we take a look at creating equipment for your campaign or Foundry product with an in-depth discussion on armor. We'll also be opening up the dice bag and die casting uh, that we haven't visited for a while as we explore some perceived differences between two closely related skills. And lastly, we'll be opening up the mailbag and answering some of your games and rules questions in Under the Hammer. But before all of that, let me introduce you to the man with a plan, the brains behind this operation of ours, it's GM Chris. Chris, hang uh, don't, 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 don't
1: put that on me. I don't want to be the brains.
0: <laughs> well, you can be the you can be the face of the organization. How does the that fa- sound? Is that God, sound better?
1: the face? Okay, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Well, okay, yeah. I, I I I'm pretty ugly, man. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sitting here chewing ice what? on an open mic. I'm not that couth either. <laughs>
0: Well, I've been told I've got a good head for radio, so um, I think <laughs> so, uh, so. I think you win there. So, sure, you can be the face, and I'll be the brains.
1: Okay, okay. Good. Well,
0: God help us all.
1: God, God help us all. <laughs> God help us all, man, dude. It's been a while since you and I've been on the mic together, man. It's good it to be back.
0: Has. Absolutely, it's been a lot of fun. Um, well, hopefully, it'll be a lot of fun. But it's been not so much fun in the in the downtime, but I kind of explained that at the start of last episode. But um, uh, lots of people happy to have us back, which is great. Lots of support for the community, uh, from the community, should I say. And, um, yeah, they're all looking forward to more. So we are happy to give them more.
1: Man, and we... We're we're kind of diving into that pool with both end with this episode. Good night. Um, <laughs> the, the, we're 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 tackling two uh what would normally be like meat segments. You know, mm. like uh you know because normally with our with our format we've moved to you know we have a, we have a small segment that comes after one of these two segments. But as we'll talk about, we're going to have a bit shorter um uh, a bit shorter stoking the fire uh, this time mm. around. It, it kind of gives us yeah. a little bit of, of uh. Of wiggle room, and uh, we mm-hmm. feel like we've been without content for so long, guys. We just want to, mm. we just want to deliver it to you all. <laughs> he says with breathless, oh, "I need my inhaler." Anticipation. <laughs>
2: oh, oh my oh,
1: yeah. god, <laughs> dude! <laughs> do you want to? You want to? You want to start stoking the fire?
0: I think that would be a really, really good plan. Let's Let, let's let's
1: it. do it before I pass out.
2: <laughs> Fire.
0: And welcome to Stoking the Fire, a segment dedicated to letting you know all there is to know about the releases from the Genesis Foundry and the Genesis role-playing game. But first, Chris, would you like to tell us a little bit about the D20 Radio podcast of the week?
1: I would love to, man. Look, we got a lot of fantastic podcasts on D20 Radio, and I'm a huge fan of uh, some of our variety shows um, that actually cover nerddom and role playing kind of across the gamut. But but one such that I'm a huge fan of is is the Story Told RPG podcast. I don't know if you listen to Story Told, Hooli. You should. If you don't, it's it's great i do um yeah, it's, it's really good
0: one of the many one of the many
1: uh but but there the, the the primary function of that show is it most of its actual play it's a uh, it's a uh, which is why i love it so much because it's this amazing romp of mostly actual play across a variety of systems so i i, I learn so much because they play so many different things you know um yeah. But the thing is, they actually diverge from that formula, as they occasionally do for this most recent episode. And I'm so glad they did, um, where where uh, this episode 86 that they just released was devoted to an interview with the legendary Cam Banks, uh, the creator of Cortex Prime. Um, wow. I, don't, I don't know how they snagged him. uh but uh, like i've i'm a huge fan of the cortex system ever since uh Mm. uh, margaret weiss productions uh i got first introduced to it with the um the serenity role-playing game
0: all right um uh,
1: which was like one of the first outings of cortex that i ever experienced and i fell in love with it there but uh cortex prime was 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 released a while back we actually have a a show about it actually on the network um Hmm. and it's like an upcycle man it's it's kind of like the new version of fate they just they trimmed the fat. They made it generic. It's truly wonderful what you can do with it. But uh, they have a game that's coming out for it, which is Tales of Zadia, um, mm-hmm. which is based off the award-winning Netflix animated show The Dragon Prince, which yes. I'm a huge fan of, uh, and mm-hmm. as is my daughter. Um, yeah. And, and we've been, and obviously it's from the beautiful Demented Minds who brought us Avatar: The Last Airbender um, mm-hmm. on, on Nickelodeon. Um, and like I'm a huge fan of the show, and so I cannot wait for this to come out. And and like. Like I'm, I'm so I'm thrilled about that game. I'm thrilled about the setting. I'm thrilled about the Cortex Prime system in general, and mm. getting to hear Cam Banks talk all about it on this episode. It was it was a great episode. So <laughs> like you guys and listeners, if you're listening, guys, even if you never played Cortex Prime, go go check us out. It's totally mm. worth it. And you guys can find that and many more amazing gaming and geekery podcasts right now at d20radio.com.
0: I admit that i haven't listened to that that episode but now that you've said that ken banks is on there because i love cortex um i um, did the whole uh kickstarter for uh, when they re-released cortex so um yeah. so yeah got into that and it's great so yeah I'm, I'm that is the next i'm just tapping it into my iphone as i speak and yes i'm an iphone user don't hold that against me anyway um, but don't forget, after you've given this fantastic podcast listen, make sure you also check out the amazing blog articles over at d20radio.com. com.
1: Uh, yeah, man, there's some truly great content there. I mean, um, I always point people to it, but wow, just this past week there was a gem, uh, a new article from one of our staff writers, the incredible Egg Embry. Um, and he's he does he does writing for uh N World and a bunch of other things. I mean, he's a we're yep. we're very proud to have Egg as a staff writer for D20 Radio. Um mm. But all of his stuff blows me away. But he has a series that's called Daydreaming Tabletop Mechanics, a series of article series he does on D20 Radio. And he just posted one called Chase Systems in RPGs. Mm-hmm. And as you, like, I can see you, you're nodding your head mm-hmm. with this knowing, like, <laughs> oh, my Lord, so up your alley. But no, it was a great article. He he goes through what makes a really great chase engine in an RPG, yep. and he brings together industry designer opinions. He examines them in and out uh, and, 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 and takes a look at varied mechanics all the way from from Pathfinder First Edition's chase cards through to mm-hmm. Feng Shui, through to Savage Worlds, to, to even Blades in the Dark's uh, clock system. Um, mm. which, which is a very underappreciated system uh, for, yeah. for 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 chase and conflict management. It, it is a great article. It's a thought-provoking read. Uh, so be sure to check it out, as Hooli said, along with other fantastic articles also at d20radio.com. Mm.
0: And while you're surfing the aforementioned interweb, why not head over to the Genesis Foundry at uh, DriveThruRPG, where you can find the latest and greatest Foundry releases for the Genesis RPG. Now, since our last episode was recorded way back in January, uh, we're massively behind with pimping out a, a huge range of products available on the Foundry. So, before we focus on our spotlight, Chris, perhaps you can lay down the plan for us.
1: Uh, but of course, good sir. Um, so, listen up, Gamer Nation. We, we really want to pimp out each product that's been released and will continue to be released. And, and before our 2020, 20, 2021 hiatus, as I'm calling it, um, <laughs> we, we had shifted to a format where we'd kind of lightly tell you about the new releases, sort of a one-liner, hey, what's up? And we'd really focus a few minutes on a product spotlight that, that really impressed us um, mm. uh, you know, in, in that intervening time. And we may well return to that for our regular episodes. Mm-hmm. But for tonight and for our next few regular episodes, guys, we're going to alter things up just a bit. In addition to our standard episodes, episodes like what you're listening to right now, we are going to be releasing at a very rapid cadence a series of mini-episodes that we are calling Fuel for the Foundry, uh, where we're going to go through at a high level every product that has been released from January 2021 through (laughs) to now. We're going to tackle it by month for each of these mini-episodes and ensure that you guys are just aware of anything you might have missed on the Foundry.
0: Now we yeah, we just have so much to cover. We really want to give each release a shout-out, but you know, we don't want to bog down our standard episodes with thirty more minutes of of playing catch-up. So for the short term, you should expect a fair bit of regular Fuel for the Foundry mini episodes that exist solely to showcase all the releases on the Foundry so far this year. Uh, in fact, our first Fuel for the Foundry episode for January 2021 is releasing this week. So it'll be shortly released after this episode. So look forward to that.
1: Huzzah. And, you know, Huli, mm. I know we've pre recorded. A few <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> to, to, <laughs>
1: yes. to, to 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 keep the cadence going, guys. But I mean, I mean, I don't want to call Julian on, on this, but I mean, you you were you were saying you were going to try and do at least one of these episodes weekly, if not a couple times a week.
2: So yeah, yeah. so we yeah.
1: we we really do want to get them out there fast, guys, and kind of let you know what's up. Um, having said that, though we do want to return to the spotlight because there are some amazing products that have been released in the last nine months that we yeah. really do want you to get because they're really good.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and in addition, uh, it also means that we've got a lot of um, uh, Hooli potential interviews coming up uh, where we can bring mm. some creators on to talk about a couple of those products that have really impressed
0: us. Mm.
1: Um, um, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting.
0: <laughs> cough, so, cough, cough, Make cough, <laughs>
1: Oh, cough cough megasis uh, uh, uh. um uh just yeah um <laughs> so anyway i'm really looking forward to that but look speaking of not bogging things down Huli, i think it's high <laughs> time that we get to the content of this particular episode with a continuation of our last episode no
0: Mm, yes, I agree. And you're obviously referring to, of course, equipment crafting. Are you not? Indeed I
1: am. <laughs> why are we talking like this? I, I, I think no, I opened no, the no. door for that. I don't know
2: why. <laughs> All
0: right, enough of this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, come on. I was going to go into the closet and get my fop outfit. Everyone should have an outfit dressed like a fop, you know?
0: I agree. I agree. Yeah. agree. That would be fantastic. We should start a thing. Uh, (laughs) Maybe? Maybe not. Maybe maybe not. (laughs) All right. So what say we open up our toolkit and march on into The Furnace? The Furnace. And welcome to The Furnace, the segment where we take a deep dive into a topic concerning custom creations using the Genesis role-playing game. Now, tonight we're going to continue a brand new series about creating things for the Genesis RPG that focuses on something we've only scratched the surface of in our past episodes. And that's weapons, armor, equipment, gear and attachments but we'll go into that much much later on um and this episode is the second in a short series that talks about the ins and outs of creating
1: armor indeed um i'm really excited to continue this series and this conversation i mean people really like creating equipment um and and, you know the genesis toolkit kind of as we talked about last time is, is really easy to work with but as we discussed in our last episode there are some potential pitfalls of equipment creation um to avoid and and strangely Though tonight's topic of armor creation is much less complex than weapon creation,
0: um, <laughs>
1: it, it tends to run a bit of a greater risk.
0: Yeah, and it's something which is really interesting because as we'll see through the creation process, it it, it is simpler uh, with fewer options, but the creator runs a stronger risk of creating seriously overpowered armor because they're not thinking about the underpinning principles and the mechanics of the game itself. And as such, uh, as we did for weapons, we're going to not just review, uh, I guess, the rules, but share some tips and tricks and hard-learned lessons to ensure that you're creating an armor that is going to be valuable uh, without breaking your own game. That's right.
1: So as we said... Tonight we're talking about the protective accoutrement that helps keep a character alive and safe, but it may also move into some utilitarian options too. As as armor, special qualities have the potential to become gear stand-ins, uh, mm-hmm. but with their own concerns and considerations. Um, so, 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 uh, God, just dang it, let's 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 go. I'm, I'm I want to talk about bulletproof vests. I want to talk about flak vests, carbon fiber weave, energy shielding, laminate laminar, gambeson, brigandine, boiled leather, studded leather, shell armor, bone armor, dragon skin armor, hauberks, jazzerat, plate mail, banded mail, scale mail, chain mail, second date, overnight express mail. Just all the armors. All, all of them. I want to talk about all of them. Let's, let's do it. All of them.
0: You may be going a little bit overboard with the last one,
1: but... <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome, skin? though? Armor made oh. out of mail.
2: Like... <laughs>
0: <laughs> it brings sort of chain mail into a new thing it's sort of like just the envelopes and they're like rattling inside them because they're you know,
2: well they're
1: dude no, i was thinking of thing like you know like it's like the party's like oh it's a mini boss fight awesome oh god what is it he's wearing federal express <laughs> oh wait no that's dhl we're okay we're okay
0: <laughs> Uh dear yes and uh, obviously, it'd, um, the disadvantage would have to be it would be slow in some cases. <laughs> it takes two minutes to move anyway. Dude, anyway. soak
1: three, defense two, but you arrive to the encounter three rounds late. <laughs>
0: Love it. <laughs> All right. So before both of our heads explode, uh, in the case of Chris again, um, tonight we're going to walk you through the process of uh, of armor creation step by step. And towards the end, we're actually going to craft our own armor options live on the show. And that's going to be fun.
2: <laughs> Indeed.
0: So where do we start, Chris? Eh?
1: Well, for those following along at home in your storybooks... Um, Look, guys, when it comes to armor creation, uh, whether it's for your very own games or for your Foundry products, the Genesis Core rulebook has the entirety of the rules that we're pretty much going to be covering confined to a single place. And that place is page 198. Throughout this episode, we will be referencing those rules, so you may wish to have your book handy. But this discussion will also touch on item qualities a wee bit, a little bit, not nearly as much as weapons did, but a (laughs) little bit, a wee bit. Okay, Um, so... It is a somewhat limited but important aspect to armor. So, do be sure to put a thumb on pages 86 through 89, which detail item qualities. Um, we also are going to be talking about some examples in, frankly, all of the release books, but I, I yeah. don't think you need to have your storybooks ready unless you're just yeah, a real true. eager beaver.
0: Yeah. So We'll, we'll so. sort of go in, we'll expand on that as what the book says. Yeah. So, yeah. As you as, go. go.
1: But, no. but, Huli, before we even get into this, I think we have some important boilerplates that we need to head this discussion off with.
0: Oh yeah, we do. So we've got three of them um, to be precise. So the first one is a shield by any other name. Uh, Now, despite Chris's armorific rant earlier, um, keen listeners might've noticed that he didn't mention a single shield. And if he didn't, listen to it at half speed, and then see if he mentioned shield, because he didn't. Um, and it's an item which, frankly, is uh, usually one of the first things that come to mind when people think about armor. Uh, now, this is because, in terms of Genesis rules and uh, an item of creation, a shield is not a piece of armor. It is a weapon. <laughs> Now, that's going to sound a little bit odd, but it's done that way because, unlike armor, a shield can be used to bash someone in the head. (laughs) And I'll tell you what, at least it's nothing like what Pathfinder 1st Edition was. Their shield bash rules were in three different places, but (laughs) but that's a side note altogether. (laughs) But um, it can also be used to give uh, protection. In fact, that is its primary function. So. The designers of Genesis and Star Wars uh, took a look at the options. So it was one, treat it like armor and give it an attack-based special quality. Or two, treat it like a weapon with protection-based special qualities. Now, as it turns out, it's much easier to simply treat it as a weapon. As such, it needs to be created and costed just like a weapon. So please go back to episode 25 and follow those rules for shield creation. Now, if you're looking for inspiration, the fantasy shield on uh, page 144 of the Genesis Core Rulebook is the vibe that you kind of should be trying to emulate. It's a melee light weapon with zero damage. Uh, It's got the knockdown quality uh, and it has a one rarity meaning you can probably find it lying around a dungeon somewhere. Um, And it has cost of only 80. But it also has the inaccurate quality because, well, it's a shield or a piece of wood or whatever it is that you manage to find and cobble together as a shield, and the qualities of defensive one and deflection one. So that basically means that defensive means that it's going to get a one defense four melee attacks, and deflection, it's going to get a one defense, four missile weapons. So it essentially provides that without having to go into if I'm wearing it doesn't mean that I'm going to be reducing it by three encumbrance, for example, uh, which is something which we'll get onto a little bit later. Shields can also be narrative as part of, uh, of a larger armor set. Now, this is important, so don't fall into the trap of thinking you have to stat out each piece of, uh, of armour in an armour set. For example, the riot armour on page 168 of the Core Rule Books says it includes a large polycarbonate shield for deflecting blows and pushing crowds, but it's not a weapon. It's just basically part of the armor. In fact, the text says that the armor's defense drops by one if you aren't carrying the shield.
1: Yeah, and it's 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 kind of weird, but it's like you know when you think of shield and you say you want to do a shield, it, you think of it as a part of an armor set. Typically, that's narrative is t- really the way to go. If you want to make a discrete yep. item like Taranoth does, I mean, yeah, you could stat it up as a a piece. I mean, like that's the thing. You can say you can set it up as a piece of armor. Okay, but then it gets weird because armor is like a unified set. So Mm. if you set it up as a piece of armor, it would have simple stats, but then you've got this complex stat block that would list out all the weapon qualities, right? Because you have a Mm. lot to know there for a weapon. Or you can just stat the dang thing up as a weapon and give it two qualities that don't require any explanation at all. All right. Mm. And it basically does what a shield should do. So I mean yeah that's 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 kind of where it is. I don't know if it was Pathfinder it may have been 3rd edition D&D and I don't know if it was published it may have been like one of the stupid mongoose uh off brands but somebody did somebody did like a dwarven shield master and the concept was was to basically emulate that final fantasy concept of of like equipping your dwarf with two shields because the way it it had to have been third three five because i'm pretty sure they cleaned this up for pathfinder but it was like the rules actually were so granular they said that if you wielded two shields you would get the plus one or plus two bonus like that each shield would provide twice right so that way you could just beef up and it'd be a huge armor master with two shields and then it was this prestige class that basically like it improved your bashing capability basically so that you could bash as effective as you could with a sword or something like that so it would just make this sort of turtle you know, um, it was so stupid. I I mean, cool. It was so cool, I'm sure, for the people who enjoyed it. Um, but, yeah, so yeah. that's Shields. Okay, guys, boilerplate number two. Um, we said it once. We're going to say it again. Uh, let's return to the power of reskinning. When we recorded episode 25, we went through this, but we're going to go through it again because we never, ever, 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 ever want you to forget it. If you can rename an existing published piece of armor, do it. That's it. Mm-hmm. And once mm-hmm. again, once again, just like for weapons, there are three reasons that you want to do this. Reason number one, existing armor has been tested. Reason number two, existing armor has been tested. And reason number three, this is the real clincher. This is the most important reason. Existing mm-hmm. armor has been play Tested. All right. Now, just like with with, with weapons and reskinning, we we said there's some questions you should ask yourself. These are going to go true for armor as well. Does a similar or even identical piece of armor exist somewhere else in a published source? Does a similar piece of armor do what you want this armor that you're wanting to create to do? Will creating an entirely new piece of armor meaningfully add something to my game? If you answered yes to the above two questions you just might want to reskin an existing piece of armor. Hmm. Um, if you answered no to the last question, you really shouldn't try to create your own armor. <laughs> uh, I mean, seriously, reskin, reskin, change the fluff, rename it, Bob's your uncle. Um, yeah. And remember, guys, though this doesn't matter for your home games, even if you're publishing this, as we say, as we repeat, tabular information can be reused and or reprinted without issue. Okay? You don't need to worry about reskinning something in terms of its stats. As long as the stats are in the table, those are not copyrighted. They can't be. Okay. So you're Mm. fine to reprint Mm. those. Just give it a new name and a new piece of fluff and you're off to the races. Okay. (laughs) Um, So again, we just, we just, we just got to say that.
0: Okay. Yeah, exactly.
1: Our last boilerplate though is kind of important.
0: Yeah. Uh, And this is something for, for everyone who has a copy of both of these particular books. Now, the two books that I'm obviously talking about are Realms of Terranoth and Keyford's Secrets of the Crucible. In Realms of Terranoth, they introduced an entirely new component to armor and frankly also to weapons as well. Uh, now, in that book on pages 97 to 98, uh, which is quite unique to the setting and all fantasy settings for that matter is craftsmanship. Now, craftsmanship options are basically templates, and there's currently only five of them, uh, from basic steel to iron, elven, dwarven, and ancient. Now, these apply to armor or to weapons, and they grant a special ability and or detriments, as well as adjusting cost and rarity.
1: And then in Keyforge, Secrets of the Crucible, they had armor traits, yeah. which which was a bit different, like... That had this very similar concept they introduced on pages 143 through 146, because there are 27, yes, you heard me say that right, 27 armor-specific traits, which are basically, again, these templates that you can sort Mm. of add to armor after the fact that give varied bonuses and or detriments. And some of them are, true to the setting, really, really (laughs) weird. Um, which is great. Uh, some are also powered by Amber, uh, Ember, which, which also yeah.
0: makes a lot of sense. And look, we'll, we bring this up to, to say for, for no other reason, that we will be diving into both of these subsystems at a later stage. We're not going to do it tonight. Both of them, as we've looked into the research in, in uh, preparing for this episode, we've decided that they really deserve an episode of their own. Furthermore, applying either of these subsystems doesn't really alter the advice that we're going to give you tonight on this episode. So, in both cases, the craftsmanship or trait is applied after you create the armor. So, yes, applying it should fit with the theme of your created piece of equipment, uh, but it is an add-on to the rules, not a replacement or an alteration of them. All right? All right. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get into the simple step-by-step process of armor creation. And uh, it is much simpler, understandably, than weapon creation is. And just like last time, we're going to be paraphrasing and framing the rules in the book, but also adding in our own special steps and tips that we've found to be highly valuable when creating a piece of armor. So, Chris, what's our first step?
1: Similar to weapons, uh, you know, describe and name the armor. What does it look like? How is it used or worn? What does it do that other armors do not do? Um, Mm -hmm. Like, as usual, guys, we we find it best to start this way. Um, Not only will your answers inform most of the steps to come, uh, Mm -hmm. but it will give you yet another chance to ask yourself if you need to be creating this armor brand new, or if you're better off filing off some serial numbers and reskinning something else that's already out there. Okay,
2: um,
1: just, yeah, it's, it's there. But if you've, if you've figured that out and you got your concept and you realize you want to do it fresh and it doesn't exist already, you're good to go, then you can mm-hmm. move into step two.
0: Right, and step two is soak. Now, 90% of the time, this is the most important aspect of any piece of armor, and it represents the most basic principle of why anyone would want to be wearing armor in the first place and that's to reduce damage taken. Now, Soak should probably be somewhere in the vicinity of either zero or between zero and three. Uh, Now, while a Soak of four is possible, we would highly recommend just don't do it. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) That's epic-level crazy armor. Um, You know, it's, it's bordering on powered armor and probably should be more looked at as a vehicle. But um, And if you do have a soak of four, probably three, the armor should certainly have some major drawbacks as a result.
1: Yeah. And this brings us to one of our first rules of thumb, guys, and and kind of an Mm -hmm. underpinning that you need to understand in the system to prevent armor from being OP. Okay. Yeah. Rule of thumb number one, let damage happen. Oh, yeah. This is actually called out in the text, too. Okay. They felt Mm -hmm. it strong enough to actually call this out. And actually, shoot, like, peel apart the veneer of some of the mechanical underpinnings of the system. That's how important the authors of Genesis found this. Okay. Yeah. You got to remember that Genesis's combat system was designed with the idea that a character who gets hit will almost always suffer damage. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: This lends itself to that fast paced and exciting nature of the game that we love. Every hit is a potential threat. Okay, and honestly, understanding that design intent should play into your soak choice. All right,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, that 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 sweet spot, um, as a result of that rule of thumb, is, is really a soak of one or two. I mean, so, soak two should be like good armor, good armor, not mm. not great or amazing armor, but like good <laughs> armor is like is like a soak of two. Okay, but also, guys, you don't have to have soak at all. Soak zero mm. is actually perfectly acceptable in many circumstances, as Juli and I will come to, um, <laughs> uh, especially if you have defense, which we're going to come to in a bit. But yeah, yeah. but so mm. let damage happen. Rule of thumb number one.
0: Hmm. Rule of thumb number two, though, is soak is about reliability. So when you think about soak versus defense, remember that soak is about reliably reducing damage. So with the exception of pierce and breach, it's going to reduce any damage that you take from a hit every single time. So um, is that how you envision your armor? Uh, who knows? That, that may be very well the, what you're envisioning. Uh, but in other words, soak isn't about deflecting a hit. Uh, it's about absorbing it, pushing it, reliably reducing damage. That's what you look at when you're talking about soak. But if you're looking at it from deflecting a hit or, you know, making sure that you're not getting hit in the first place, that brings us to step three.
1: Which is defense. So as Huli said, if 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 soak is about absorbing a hit, cushioning it, just reducing the damage you take, which is honestly what most armor is about, defense is the opposite. It's about deflecting it. Defense, hmm. so you say rule for number two is that soak is about reliability. Defense is much less reliable at, mm. at than, than soak, but it is much more versatile. Um, and as a co- correspondingly, it is valued more than soak uh, from a costing perspective, at least when you get above two as a result. Um, as such, armor should be much less likely to have defense than it is to have soak. Most armor mm. should default to soak. Defense should be the more rarer, much better, great armors. Okay. Defense should be reserved for advanced armors, okay? And you should honestly shoot for a defense of one, maybe two, with a defense of two really reserved for magical or extremely high-tech options. Um, A defense Mm -hmm. of three should be, like, incredibly (laughs) high-tech or rare or unusual or legendary magical items, hyper-expensive, hyper-rare. Can you get to a defense of four? Yes, mechanically. (laughs) But you probably shouldn't. Mm. I mean, frankly, four is four is likely a never situation. Okay. Mm. Remember, Genesis mm. maxes out setback dice on defense at four, period. That was one of the changes from Star Wars to Genesis. So honestly, yeah, there's no reason to to give a defense of four. You're you're taking a lot away from players to be able to mm. use cover uh appropriately or or talents or other interesting things that they may
0: have. Mm. Talents definitely more so. Yeah, um, because it, because the the modifications that they made to Genesis, uh, which they then incorporated across into Star Wars, is that uh, the defense dice can never go higher than four. You can still have stuff from weather defense is never higher than four, but you can have like your environmental factors that add on to that.
1: But but even then, that's even more of the reason why hmm. don't 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 give armor defensive four. Just don't. I mean, yeah. ironically, we're going to break those rules in our own. Uh, <laughs> uh, builds, but we've got reasons for that, and there's a bunch of like limiting factors associated with that, which will yeah will we'll, we'll
0: come. Yeah, there's also a case that uh, when it comes to uh like talents and whatever else, looking at it from a psychological perspective, PCs or players, they spend XP on these talents, and so suddenly if they've managed to get themselves a, a piece of armor that doesn't or that has a much larger defense suddenly their 15, 20-point talents are going to not get used and they're going to feel a little bit ripped off that they've, they've done that. Exactly. So it's always exactly. a good thing to remember your talents in the same sort of way, and I know this is going to be a little bit of a tangent, but in the same sort of way as Knack for it. that always makes sure when you're running a game that you're always putting in some setback if it's relevant. Don't take into consideration like some GMs do where they don't mention that because they know that the character has got knack for it. Make sure that you put those in there so that you're giving the player the satisfaction of going, well, actually, I've got knack for it as a talent, so I'm going to remove two of those setback die. So something important to remember there. So rule of thumb number three, however, defense is about versatility. Now, coming back to soak versus defense, remember that soak is about reliably reducing damage. Defence is less reliable, look you do have blank faces on those setback die after all, um but it's much more versatile. Setback die from defence can roll failures, which can not only make the attack miss entirely but will reduce net successes and thus damage even if the hit still happens. But setback die can also roll threats which means defense also reduces the chance of critical hits or weapon qualities activating. And that's also going to include things like the uh, the effectiveness of spells uh, with some of the special qualities that they have, uh, as well as um, affecting some talents, which, um, you know, operate with the use of advantages. So that's going to have a really, really big effect And it's really going to decrease the effectiveness of um, your opponent's weapons. Yeah. So does the armor deflect the blow or cushion the blow? Uh, Defense. So it's basically the defense versus soak. Maybe both, maybe a little from column A and a little bit from column B. Um, And (laughs) we'll talk more about this. But uh, if you decide to have armor that provides both soak and defense, It's going to be a lot more expensive. So just keep that in mind. Um, And you can totally do it, but it's going to cost you. And is that also how you envision your armor being in the first place?
1: Well, this leads us to our our step four. Our step four, encumbrance, Mm. um, is next. Mm. And, you know, the rules recommend giving an armor an encumbrance of two to five, uh, depending on the armor. Mm. What do you assign it at? The the best way to think about this is, is think about gathering up all the armor in your hands and holding it and or carrying it. That's what you need to (laughs) think about. How big and bulky would it be if you were literally holding it in both hands? Would it have the same heft and bulk, you know, as a large pistol or a mace? Maybe it's something like leathers you can roll up. Okay. Um, you know, well, that would be an encumbrance of two. Okay. And <laughs> while I'm going to have a whole lot of armor examples to choose from, I have a ton of weapon examples. So I love thinking about it that way. Okay. It's like, it's like, seriously, hold it in your hands. How can you compress it? How can you hold it? How much would it weigh? Okay. Compare that to a similar weapon and you have a great barometer for encumbrance. Okay. Would it have the same heft and bulk as like a heavy rifle or a great axe? Okay. And if anyone of you mm-hmm. has ever held a heavy rifle or a great axe, which I have held, um, mm-hmm. I actually, it's crazy. I had a buddy buy one. He spent almost $1,000 to buy one from a Ren fair a, a long time ago, and he kept it in his wow. room. And, dude, people could barely lift it. It was, I mean, it was massive, okay? Mm. I mean, that, that's an encumbrance of four, okay? Yep. You know, for reference, an assault cannon would be like an encumbrance of six, okay?
2: Mm.
1: So you got to think about that. But the, the thing is, like, while well, that may sound unreasonable, you have to remember the encumbrance of a piece of armor is its encumbrance if you hold it in your hands or you wear it in a backpack or you carry it from place to place in your arms. Mm. Worn armor decreases its encumbrance value by 3 when it is mm. worn, okay? Mm. So it's like it's like yeah, man, like a a suit of of plate mail is probably going to have an encumbrance of 5, okay? Mm-hmm. And that sounds insane, but when you wear it, it's only going to force you to suffer an encumbrance of 2. Okay, yep. which yep. makes sense. Your body is bearing that weight and and difficulty. Okay, yeah. so don't yeah. freak out at an encumbrance of four or five on heavy plate. Okay, mm. um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, g- give that encumbrance the appropriate value because it matters. Okay, but but think about it in this fashion.
0: Mm. And I tell you what: if you don't know how heavy these particular items are, go and uh, go to a Renaissance fair or a medieval pharaoh or whatever it is that is in your area. And a lot of these uh, these clubs, they'll make their own armour, and they'll have it on display. And you can almost guarantee that um, they will be more than happy for you to pick it up. Um, obviously, under guidance, whatever else, because that's some expensive armour. But um, you can go and pick it up, and um, sometimes they'll allow you to just try it on. And I tell you what, chain mail is nothing to be balked at. Nope. <laughs> it's, it is heavy as. So, uh, so yes, yeah, something to consider there as well. Now, additionally, you uh, are uh, free to under-cost an item by up to an encumbrance of three. So, you can totally make a five-encumbrance armour a two-encumbrance armour. Maybe it's made of mithril or advanced... Why do we always have to say mithril? Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> like with some sort of elf. <laughs> because that's how you say Mithril.
0: Mithril. Pikes as a
1: feather and
2: hard as dragon scales. <laughs> oh,
0: dear. Um, or, or even advanced lightweight polymer. Uh, it certainly doesn't sound as cool as Mithril uh, or something, but <laughs> as we'll come to, it's still going to cost you later on. Um, sorry. Dude,
1: it, we, we need, we need to start a ballistics company together. That is sole purpose is to invent incredibly lightweight polymers that like are yes. tougher than ceramic or, or, or high velocity, like, you know, like high grade steel. And, right. and, and we should call it Mithril. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then once, once we become rich and famous and we start selling it, you know, like, and, and we're getting interviews and all that. And, and, you know, and stuff like that, people are like talk to me about that Mithril. And we'd be like, no, no, no. It's me (laughs) 3 I'm not calling it that. Then good day to you, sir. I will sell to another country.
0: I say good day.
1: I say good day. I have a fop outfit in my closet. I'm not afraid to use it.
0: Just as a bit of a callback.
1: Very good. See, that's... You know, Juli, you see, you had had to point it out. What you did is you you cracked open really good podcasting chops, and now they're worthless. They're worthless because you called it out, man. Like what's 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 uh, that's like pointing out a great segue, you know? It, it takes wow. it takes the mystery out. This is not what these people are paying for. They're not paying <laughs> us anything for this, are we? Not really. Oh, screw them. Okay. Okay. <laughs>
0: All right. So, what about step five?
1: <laughs> Special rules and item qualities. Mm. Um, man, dude. I mean, what? Uh, even more so than for weapons. I mean, this this is this is an optional step. Yeah. Um, you yeah. don't have to do this. Most armor doesn't do it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and not having any special qualities or 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 uh, special rules or item qualities, it's not only totally okay. It's highly likely uh, that mm-hmm. your crafted armor won't have any item qualities or special mm-hmm. rules. Mm-hmm. But Huli,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> what if you want them? Where, where do we go? What do we what are, What are we talking about here? What options do we have?
0: So, look, in terms of the core rulebook, there's a lot of item qualities on pages 86 to 89, but the vast majority only applies to weapons. There are really only three qualities, and all of them are on page 88, that could be applied to armor. And I say could because you don't always have to do it. I think we've pointed that out already.
1: Well, Um, two of them them are a stretch anyway, man.
0: (laughs) I mean, raw,
1: two of them are a stretch.
0: (laughs) True. So the first one is reinforced. And now it calls out its use as an armor quality and a stupidly powerful one, too, uh, which makes the wearer immune to pierce and breach, which is pretty damn powerful, especially if you're talking about breach. (laughs) (laughs) So, that's just like nuts. Uh, We might have to talk more about that later on. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, And then we've got inferior and superior. Now, these two are generic item qualities that, yes, they could be applied to armor. They impose or grant an automatic threat or advantage on checks related to their use, respectively. But what checks related to the armor's use? Yeah, what, 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 would, that, what would that apply to? What
1: checks relate <laughs> to an armor's use? I don't, I don't get it. I mean, like you could get cheeky and say like coordination or athletics, stealth. Okay, stealth. Okay, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I'd be nope. fine with that. Um, mm-hmm. Any other physical remo- movement-related checks? But in that case, mm-hmm. I would see a justification for inferior applying. Okay, but mm-hmm. not superior. I mean how is superior armor going to give you an advantage on athletics checks? It's like I have put extra weight on my body. I can suddenly jump higher, run faster, swim farther. I mean, you know and I you know I say that that actually could be like a really cool thing uh that you could scan as like a magical augment.
2: You know mm, what I mean? Yeah.
1: Um yeah. and actually now that I've now that I got all saucy and made that comment I'm actually thinking of like some of the classic <laughs> fantasy armors that are out there, you know what i mean? Mm, it's like, yeah. you know, you know a, a boot, uh, you know, a, a leathers of elven kind, you know, yeah. that might mm. might be superior, okay? And, and nice. yeah, when you're when you're run it, when you're doing athletics or coordination, okay? Or or stealth, mm. yeah, you get a free advantage. Like mm. on the check because magic because they're they're because they're made by the elves but see that's the thing if we get that way that's what the craftsmanship thing was from terranoth and like that's a whole different conversation and quite frankly would do it a heck of a lot better you know yeah Yeah. so you know but you could you could say yeah it's made of mithril and it's you know (laughs) gives you the the you know it's superior because it's made of mithril I i don't know
0: it's a bit weird. <laughs> okay, what about
1: what about special rules? Because that's item qualities, but where 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 you can really cover the gamut and break things open is with special rules, which are not mm. uncommon in armor. I mean, they're they're not the norm, but they're not rare either.
0: Yeah, true. Now the special rules are just that, and they're not really documented in the rules anywhere, uh, other than by suggestion or example, and looking at other stuff that already exists. But there is a few we can see from the core rulebook and Shadow the Beanstalk, uh, either in existing gear or suggested effects we can recommend. Uh, now, for for your information, Secrets of the Crucible, <laughs> which is just crazy, um, is its own thing, um, as all armor has setting specific or amber powered traits. Yeah, and it is just too weird to do, and it's in just a little short segment here. Um, something, yeah, we'll, we will do an entire episode dedicated to uh, probably in this series actually talking about uh, the the way that armor and weapons and everything like that is created in Secrets of the Crucible because it's very unique and it suits the setting and it's weird. I think we've said that enough. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, we've also got a coercion boost. Uh, now, a suggestion made for frightening armor um, adding a boost die to coercion checks is a kind of a cool one. That's in the core uh, <laughs> Yeah, stealthy penalty. Adds one or more setback dice to stealth checks when you use them. Um, so uh, that applies to chain mail and plate armor. I always refer to the paladin when he's wearing his full set of plate mail that getting them to uh, do a stealth check is kind of like asking an ice cream truck to do a stealth check. Yeah. So, we would call them Mr. Whippy Vans. I think I've talked about this on the show before. Yes. And you go, oh, yeah. Mr. Whippy? What the hell is a Mr. Whippy? Anyway, it's an spelling thing. Okay. Uh, okay. So,
1: you got well, that stealth penalty that's that's found on those armors in the core rulebook. Okay. Yeah. But you, yeah. Got, the, you got the inverse as well found on some special armors, uh, both in the core rulebook and in Shadow of the Beanstalk. There is, Ooh. for lack of a better term, what I would call a spot upgrade. Um, right. it, it actually upgrades the difficulty, uh, I'll say it again, upgrades the difficulty, um, of any check made to spot you. Um, and that's, uh, mm. the, that's on the ghillie suit in the core rulebook, book, um, and, uh, the optical, optical camouflage food suit in shadow of mm-hmm. the
2: beanstalk. Mm.
1: Um, we also have environmental protection, uh, mm-hmm. which, which kind of adds one or more boost dice to resilience checks to re- resist environmental extremes, uh, sometimes in mm-hmm. very specific circumstances. Um, uh, the, the insulated garb in the core rulebook has that. The riot armor, the aforementioned riot armor in Shadow of the Beanstalk mm. has that um, mm. as well. So those are options.
3: Mm.
1: Now, the next one, though, dude, th- this, this calls back to something you had said earlier about powered armor. <laughs>
0: but uh... <laughs> <laughs> So we then have brawn increase, which increases the brawn by one when worn. So we've got, in the core rulebook, we've got Admiral Arthur's Astounding and Plumative Armour. Is that how it's <laughs> supposed to be pronounced? I, I don't know. I, I thought it was Amplimotive. <laughs> Amplimotive, yes.
1: Amplimotive. Amplimotive.
0: Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. I which is obviously okay. in, the, in the steampunk setting, obviously.
0: <laughs> obviously. <laughs> uh, and then you've got the personal exosuit from Shadow of the Beanstalk as well. So uh, that's that gives you a, a brawn increase. Um, I, I guess there could be additional things that um, could... Uh, increase agility um, if it's powered in a certain way. But the rest of them, I don't think so. But it's predominantly for that brawn increase um, that we've seen. So we've also got concealed armor. So it's kind of like the inverse of what we talked about before with um, stealth and spot is that um, it it doesn't appear as armor at all. Uh, It adds two setback die to checks to notice it. So, instead of the beanstalk, it's found on the concealed bucky weave. What a weird name for a piece of armor, bucky weave.
1: Well, yeah. <laughs> are, you know. with, are you familiar with buckyballs?
0: No. <laughs> Is that yeah, a you, thing? You,
1: yeah, Google it. It's uh, um, uh, Buckminster Fuller created all this stuff, like, and conceptually out of carbon weave. Right, like crazy, oh, okay, cra- crazy, things you could do with with chains of carbon atoms, um, and Ooh. we actually do manufacture some of this stuff. Like there's, oh. like there's, it, it's like, and it's like, yeah, I mean, you you get the strength of steel and the thinness of cloth, basically. So, right, okay. yeah. So, yeah, cool. you they're they're obviously playing on those concepts
2: with Bucky weave.
0: Yeah, 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 that's fair enough. And then our uh, last one is environmental success, so it adds a success to resilience checks to resist hazardous environmental conditions. In Shadow of the Beanstalk, we find that on the environmental hard suit. So we've kind of got yeah. a bit of a difference there when you're looking at environmental protection versus environmental success. So yeah. well, just two different ways of doing the same thing. So, well, yeah, but-
1: well, well that's the thing. It's like it's a boost die versus an auto success, right? And you know, mm-hmm. one, one is like auto success, right? It's and, and and dude, the the environmental hard suit is expensive it's really expensive okay for, for for what it gives okay and and for, for, from from a te- protection standpoint and that's the reason why like you know and as we go through these like all that we've gone through guys these examples these are just raw examples that are out there in the books whether they're suggestions made in the texts or actual things we got from armors that are out there in the published materials yes. but they're just examples it's not a list okay it's not like these are your options choose okay they're they're just examples okay um you just got to cost things appropriately and you can take a look at these examples again, using a a rescan or pseudo rescan methodology, see what their cost is, see what their rarity is, see what the benefit is they provide and kind of figure out, you know, kind of what that equates to. Um, like dude, the, 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 uh, the personal exosuit and, and, uh, and the, the Quinn, a, the Admiral, Admiral Arthur's astounding amplimotive (laughs) armor. Uh, those, those are, they're like really expensive. Um, And and you know and they, they often have some drawbacks too. So like mm. you just you just gotta you just gotta keep that in mind. Um, but despite these options, guys, that we've gone through because they're fun, and despite the examples we're going to show you later in the show as we create things, you've got to realize that the vast majority of armor has no item qualities, no special qualities whatsoever. Okay, and that's okay. It's just one more dang thing you got to track. Um, <laughs> you know. Don't don't do your players a disservice by thinking you have to include something like this. I understand it's fun, but if you're just trying to flesh out some stuff for your setting, you don't need it. Okay,
0: mm. you don't
2: mm. need it.
0: Mm. So this is the point in time where you go back to your earlier steps to inform the armor's special qualities, and that's the key thing here. Item qualities and special rules should enforce a holistic view of your armor, uh, you know, basically what you define back in step one and your visions for the armor in the first place. Now, we've got a few learned lessons and, and tips and, and, you know, paraphrases of the book, and we've sort of, we've kind of broken them down into three segments, I guess. So the first one is that it's better to reduce penalties than add bonuses. So, if you're shooting for a positive special quality, go this route, um, if possible, because it removes complexity. Um, And also, removing dice makes for easier dice pulls. And I know that a lot of our people like to have fistful of dice, but uh, it certainly makes for an easier pull. Um, And also, the more dice you have, the more results you're going to have to try to calculate as well. Uh, and adjudicate so it means then that you're going to make your life a little bit easier
2: yeah
1: our next tip for special qualities and item qualities guys is is negative item qualities or special abilities can help balance powerful armor out don't forget that Mm -hmm. whether it is the totally legit as we kind of went through inferior quality um Mm -hmm. you know or, or penalties or straight up listed as some armors do penalties to stealth or movement skills um it is it is a nice a nice negative quality can make things more balanced but similar to what we said for weapons try to keep it if you can to a single negative quality um if Mm -hmm. you add any at all okay otherwise it just becomes too much to think about and manage okay just because Mm -hmm. it's negative not positive doesn't mean you're making it less complex okay Mm -hmm. so keep that in mind
0: now our last tip is avoid any mechanical modifiers um and we're going to break our own rules i think (laughs) But avoid any – well, sort of. Um, So avoid any mechanical modifiers. So special qualities should be very simple and avoid any bookkeeping or overcomplication. So, for example, a, a good example, the visor on this armor's helmet removes two setback die on perception and vigilance checks due to low light or concealment. A bad example is pressing the power button on this armor's helmet grants the wearer one boost die on perception and vigilance checks for one d10 hours.
1: <laughs> exactly, and that, that, that's that's really where it comes into play. It's okay to to make things specific and I think useful under certain circumstances. In fact, that's a really great way to decost things that are getting way too powerful, um, yeah. as well as keep them balanced. But don't use the existing mechanics don't introduce new mechanics or like like you're, you're i love that example with the you know 1d10 hour it's a great one it's a great one <laughs> and i've seen it i've seen it in proposed things right mm. where people mm. think well there's d10s already in system i'll just i'll do i'll do this it's like no <laughs> no Excuse does awesome. anything else do that no no, no.
0: Like, people just want to make life hard for themselves. People, Some people just want to see the whole place burn. <laughs> so, people
1: people like to feel clever. So, you know, and it, it, it sounds great, it, but it, seriously, just don't, yeah, just avoid that.
0: Now, step six is cost and rarity.
1: Our final step.
0: <laughs> now, in this final step, you are going to add the ultimate balance to the created armor by adding cost and rarity. Now, for cost, when it comes to cost, you've already done almost all of the hard work for yourself. Simply turn to page 198 of the core rulebook and take a little peep at table 3.1-1, always thinking myself talking about law, (laughs) armor cost calculations. Um, So every choice you've made in armor design up until this point will be referenced or alluded to at least on this table. Now you're gonna start with a cost of zero and just start adding costs based on defense, soak, and any reduced encumbrance and any positive and negative qualities you're gonna be giving it. Now we're not gonna go through each option as pretty much you guys could read. Uh, but we do have a few key callouts on the table. Now the reinforced quality specifically is very overpowered for armor. That ignoring that breach, my God. Um, and that is reflected in the cost of an additional 3000 I love you, $3,000. Um, <laughs> don't forget the very important bottom line in the table. You need to add extra cost if you've got both defense and soak. With, with that cost getting quite high, if you have high soak and high defense combined, something very, very important there.
1: And and even even then, Huli, this is just a
0: base. Mm. True, it's True. just a base. True. You've True. got
1: to use your judgment and potentially alter costs further to simply have it make sense. Okay, mm. um, absolutely. As as we will we will talk about. Um, mm. And and much the same goes for rarity, which is the other part of this step. You know, and as we discussed in the last episode on weapons, the book really doesn't give you any (laughs) guidance in terms of assigning (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, I mean, it's up to you. That's the literal text. Like, it's up to you. That's what you want. Um, you know, and, and, and there's, there's reasons for that because it, for a generic system, it it really is up to you. It's up to the setting. It's up to the situation. It's up to everything. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, but to reiterate some of the advice we gave you in episode 25, guys, and you guys can go listen to that, just be sure to give a reread really quick to uh, pages 82 through 83 of the Core Rulebook, where they have a section on rarity, and it is detailed heavily. Get your mind in the right frame before you start assigning rarity. It is up to the GM to assign a base rarity, and a lot of that is going to depend on the setting, the time period, all of that. Okay, so, mm. so just, just keep that in mind. And, and how does that apply to step one, what you envision for this weapon? Okay, Or armor, excuse me. So, all right, Mm Huli. As we do, uh, (laughs) we hosts are now going to put our advice into practice, and we're going to create some brand new armor right here on the show. Uh, We are going to follow the steps we've outlined above, and we are going to bring something new for the table. It goes without saying, though, guys, that what we are communicating to you now, what we are creating here live on the show, what you will find in our notes documents later on our uh, podcast website, has been completely, 100% understandably, not play tested. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, and thus, we highly recommend, seriously, guys, using it hinges on being fully and completely play tested. So if you like what we've created, you want to try it out, try it out. Let us know what you think. But don't take it as gospel because, again, while we're applying the rules we've learned, we would never publish this unless we play test it a lot. Yep. So keep that in mind. Um, we've got some interesting ideas.
0: Yeah, and if they do have feedback, yeah, let us know. Send us an email. Say I've just used this in the campaign and it's absolutely terrible. Stop doing this. Brilliant. Oh, seriously. Brilliant.
1: <laughs> I, I, yes, please. The, the, then I can then I can get my FOP outfit on and and write a saucy email back,
3: and
0: yeah. <laughs> yes. Or tell us what, uh, and more importantly, if it is broken as hell, uh, which I'm sure mine will be, uh, then you can go out and and let us know if it is bad and then why it's bad because it's, it's all very well and good to say, this is crap, like most people on Facebook. This is crap. But, um, yeah, tell us why it's crap. You know, give us some feedback so we can go, okay, we can make some adjustments. But otherwise, it's just going to be this is crap, type, type, type. This is crap.
1: Like this Anyways. is crap. Well, have you play tested <laughs> it? Yes, I have. Okay, then I would like to listen to your advice. Yes, <laughs> give me a play test report, please. Yes. Uh, so we have a couple interesting ideas, man. Do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first?
0: Look, well, you can go first because yours is hot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I am super excited for the new film adaptation of Frank Herbert's Dune. Mm.
0: um i am be?
1: i am a fan <laughs> 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 of 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 uh of, of mind expanding space drugs and weird sex with giant worms <laughs> i i apparently i'm a fan of those things apparently because i'm a huge fan of the entire dune saga um no for real i i I'm, I, I love dune i've always loved dune um I remember watching the first, the, 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 Lynch, the, the now cult beloved, but in reality, absolutely horrific film, uh, <laughs> uh, that David Lynch created, uh, uh, you know, back in the early eighties, um, when I was a kid. Um, mm. and I remember the first time I read Dune and it was one of those books that really changed like the way I looked at the world. Uh, it was, it was really, wow. it was really crazy. So I'm a fan anyway, within the world of Dune is the idea of my created piece of armor, the Holtzman shield. Um, mm-hmm. Often called or referred to as a personal shield or a body shield or just a shield, and you know what I'm talking about, Huli, right?
2: Okay, I do. Yeah. All right,
1: this is, this is a small device. It's worn on the bo- belt or the body, and it emits an energy field that is calibrated to prevent fast-moving objects from penetrating it, e.g., projectile weapons. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly enough, like like if you get into the lore of Dune, like like and the and the Holtzman effect shields, like you can actually calibrate, you can adjust that calibration. They have to be very careful with it. Because, um, like, you can calibrate it to the point that air can't pass through, in which case you suffocate. Oh, all right wow. which, is, which, is, which is why, which is why slow, they calibrate it for slow-moving objects to pass through. That way you yeah. don't suffocate, all right? So that wow. way air can pass through, which is why it works the way it does. But anyway, there's, there's all this great stuff. The other thing, too, is, like, uh, laser guns, which are a thing in Dune, like, laser guns, right? Um, mm-hmm. if they're fired at it, at a Holtzman field, it will actually create a nuclear explosion. Um,
0: <laughs> Explain that in the rules.
1: <laughs> uh, I, I, am doing my best. Now they'd say it, now keep in mind that when this was written too, we also had a very less under understanding of subatomic fusion than we do our fission that we do now. Okay. And so it, oh. it's often described as a localized or a small nuclear explosion because they didn't really, like, it Oh, it's just small. Right. Um, you know, but it, it depended actually on the power of the weapon being fired at it in the Dune lore, if you really get into it, right? And when that explosion happened, sometimes it would actually happen. Like, sometimes. Sometimes. You couldn't control it. Sometimes it would happen at the point of impact where the last, last gun met the shield. Sometimes, due to physics, I guess, question mark, it would happen <laughs> at the weapon's end. Okay, so you might <laughs> blow yourself up trying to do this. Okay? And sometimes it would happen in both. You You blow yourself up and the person you were trying to hit. Okay? So as a result, (laughs) it became one of those things that when people started wearing Holtzman shields, it was like, don't use lads guns and 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 bullets don't work at all. So what do we do? It basically all became wonderful plot pudding to explain why far future humanity had resorted to this feudalistic fencing and knife fighting instead of uh, (laughs) gunplay. Right. Using this fancy tech days ex machina. Right. Um, And everyone wears them in Dune, like everyone, practically everyone, Uh, even minor people. Uh, figures in the galaxy—they all use them for protection, right? Mm-hmm. Um, except for the Fremen on Arrakis, um, or frankly anyone else on Arrakis, because the Holtzman field also agitates and summons sandworms,
0: <laughs> <laughs> which is a bad thing.
1: This is a very bad thing. <laughs> okay, uh, it's a very bad thing. So anyway, yeah, this is what I'm going for, right? You know, I was racking my brain. I was like, God, how do I represent this in the Genesis rules? Oh my God! So I, I came up on something. All right, right. Let's walk through the steps. Step one. Uh, describe and name the armor. I have. It's a Holtzman shield, straight up. Now, making it precisely like it is in Dune is a bit much. I mean, because like if you again, if if you if you really get into the lore, like I said, shields were calibrated to only permit slow blade strikes. Okay, so even like a fast blade strike won't get through it, right? You know the 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 hooly. the slow blade <laughs> penetrates the shield, right? <laughs> Um which is what i which is what I said to my wife on my wedding night, and then she slapped me, and it was a bad scene
0: uh, <laughs> it sounds a little bit erotic <laughs> I don't know what you'
1: i don't know what you mean um, <laughs>
0: um,
1: so like that like if you follow that precisely if you're making a dune setting that almost lends itself to a new combat skill, okay yeah, um like like an entirely new martial art, right? I'm not interested in violating our own advice and creating a new skill to bypass this thing, okay, so <laughs> I'm not going that detailed with it, but I can at least keep the essence, the essence mm. of this thing. All right. Well, keeping it as close as I can. The essence is this small energy field that deflects pretty much every ranged attack that comes at it. Okay. Right. Like just mm. straight up. Um, but it doesn't impact melee as much. And it's got some weird vulnerabilities too. All right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, there are some existing energy shields um, that I could reskin. Uh, uh particularly there's the the personal force field which is actually in the core rule book on page 186 mm-hmm. um uh for the sci-fi setting um and then there's the tesla coil from weird war in the core rule book on page 162 okay mm-hmm. those are existing personal energy shields but neither of them does precisely what i want in the way i want to do it uh so for that and for the sake of this exercise i'm gonna do it from scratch <laughs> right. uh step two soak Nothing, zero, mm-hmm. nothing. This thing does not cushion blows. It is a deflection, period. The attack either misses or it hits. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's how shields work um, in Dune. Uh it, it is pure deflection, not absorption, so it's a soak of zero. Step three, defense. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's where I'm going to get weird. Um, (laughs) And a little crazy. I'm going to borrow a page from Star Wars and the Flak Vest, which introduced an interesting concept that we don't really see elsewhere in the rules, to have different defenses apply for ranged versus melee from a Mm. piece of armor. Nothing is like this in the Genesis rules, but it is there for the Flak Vest and armor. It applies to range, but not melee. I'm going to borrow this concept. It's very unusual, but very fitting. Okay? Mm. Um, And as we go through this, this is going to get really expensive really fast, but uh, I think with this trick, it may mitigate some of that expense, and also a few of the negative qualities, special quality tricks will mitigate it later on. So I'm going to go for Bro Cooley. I'm going to violate my own device. I'm going to give this thing a range defense of four. Oof. Okay. <laughs> now, again, right. again, not a defense of four, mm-hmm. which applies to range and melee. And all armor has a defense this has this this on a table under defense would have an asterisk okay for, for special <laughs> yeah. and when you get into the text of it it says look it's got a range defense of four but a melee defense of one right okay mm-hmm. basically I want range attacks to pretty much always miss um range attacks just you like you got this thing on nope no range attacks sorry none for you the thing about melee attacks though they should have some resistance. And this is where I'm going to bring the slow blade penetrates the shield technique in. I figure in the setting of Dune, this type of slow blade technique, it's going it's, to. honestly, I don't even need to create another skill. It's a standard part of melee in this setting, right? I mean, mm. anyone who trains with me- melee weapons is going to know this technique, okay? Yeah. But at the same time, in the heat of melee combat, you're going to have a fast strike that glances. And that's where the melee defensive one comes in. Okay? Right. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. I was a little too fast, and it glanced off the shield. Okay? <laughs> so that's where my bla- that's where my brain is. Am I, am I off base on this? you think that's reasonable? No, I
0: think that's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, defense is special. Range four, melee one. Hmm. Um, step four, encumbrance. Easy peasy. It is a small handheld item. It has an encumbrance of one. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um,
1: step five, Special rules and item quality, so now now we get to it. I've already given it sort of a special quality with its defensive breakout um but there's more uh two of them uh the first and and interestingly they're uh, again kind of violating my own rules again, but I'm doing it for the for one, one of they're both very situational okay so mm-hmm. I, I'm okay with it. The first mm-hmm. special rule is last gun vulnerability when it's struck by a last gun, a small subatomic explosion occurs. Which deals thirty damage with breach one to the target and the attacker. Okay. Okay. So the attacker and the target both suffer thirty damage with breach one. Mm. The uh, now here's uh, and and, uh, this is where it comes in. Like I I love this advice. Like when, when you said not to keep it. Uh, too mechanical, right? Or not to introduce mm-hmm. new stuff. In mm-hmm. my first drafts of this, I was like, you know, I could introduce a percentile die into this, right? And mm-hmm. if they roll, like, you know, if they roll 80 to 100, it, it affects the attacker. If they roll 1 to 20, it affects the target. And anything else, it affects them both, right? And I was like, what am I doing? We already have a fantastic way to mitigate this. And that's mm-hmm. threat and advantage, right?
2: Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm.
1: When struck by a LASGUN, gun, a small subatomic explosion occurs, which deals 30 damage with breach one to the target and the attacker. The mm-hmm. attacker may spend three advantage or a triumph to have the damage only affect the target. Mm-hmm. The GM may spend three threat or a despair to have the damage only affect the attacker.
0: Mm. That's kind of I- brilliantly, can I just say? Oh, That's thank great.
1: You. A um, couple couple iterations to get to that, but I was like, mm-hmm. and even then, in in the world of Dune, no moron is ever going to bring a las gun to a Holtzman shield fight. Like it's just not going to happen. Okay, that's so right. this is one of those qualities that it's there, but it's like I have to find a way to represent it. Okay,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but I mean, I mean, yeah, I figure uh, you know thirty damage with breach one—that's death. I mean, seriously, come yeah. on, uh, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> I mean, for at least on personal scale, that's it's death. Yeah. So yeah, um. Now, on larger scale, which is where my second quality comes in, uh, maybe not so much, but still important. Um, <laughs> and the second special rule it's got is another detractive, and that is uh, I'm calling it Holtzman Biofield. Right. When active, the shield generates an unintended bioelectric effect that can be sensed by varied dangerous wildlife within strategic <laughs> range, as determined by the GM driving them to a violent frenzy to destroy the source of the effect (laughs) which is what happens when a holzman shield is used on arrakis
0: (laughs) pretty much uh dangerous wildlife that is an understatement
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay despite all my inferences the way i've written this you could use it outside of dune potentially
0: yeah absolutely absolutely
1: um Okay, uh, step six, cost and rarity. Um, Mm. Let's walk through it. For cost, uh, we go through the table on page 198. Uh, Zero soak, zero cost for soak. Four defense would normally cost five grand. But I have nerfed it with my only one melee defense, right? So it's four range, one melee. I decided to cut the difference and treat it like it was a total defense of three. Yep. Okay. Um, that might, um, yeah. And as such, I costed it at $2,000 for that. All right. Mm. Now, as for the special rules it has, they're negative qualities at $50 each. That brings the cost down to $1,900. So, mm-hmm. is my cost
0: $1,900? No. <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: um, I kind of have the inverse problem you have as we come to yours. Uh, that's way too that's way too expensive for what this is. Honestly, um mm. I I am bringing the cost down to 950. Um mm. which is still a pretty penny, but mm. not completely out of reach. And the reason is because of the setting. The setting of Dune claims that these things are ubiquitous. They're available en masse. So I'm going to cut mm. it by 50%. It still again makes it a relatively expensive item. It's high technology, but mm. it's it's still inexpensive enough to be issued by one's house. Okay, mm. to not be mm. insanely expensive. Yep. Um, now,
0: I don't know a lot about this particular uh, piece of equipment, but does it have like does it run out of power or is it just basically it's it always works?
1: Um, at least in my readings of Dune, I mean it, it can be damaged like anything else can. Um, yep. Yep. Th- this this comes down to one of those phenomenal uses for threat or despair, in my opinion. Right. Anytime right. you have a, mm. a, a powered piece of equipment. Uh, you know whether it's a weapon or in this case a Holtzman shield, uh, mm-hmm. it's one of those things. It's like ah, okay, or or you know if you're attacked, what a phenomenal use of despair, okay? It's like it's like mm-hmm. ah, you the slow blade penetrated the shield into his Holtzman belt, right? Like that's <laughs> you know, what what a, what a great use. So again, I wouldn't complicate, I wouldn't complicate the rules by introducing that kind of mechanic. We have yeah. existing rules that can deal with that scenario. In the beauty of the narrative dice so
2: Perfect. use them love it okay yep.
1: Absolutely. um and then lastly we got rarity uh rarity again as i said this is fairly common in dune it's it's, it's expensive but uh, i mean um it, it's it's not it's 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 going to be rarer than a sword certainly but not exactly hard to obtain so i'm just going to set Ooh. it at rarity four um Ooh. makes sense nice average rarity
0: makes sense i okay. don't know what do you think if everybody's if everybody's got one or at least access to one, I think that mm-hmm. uh, four makes total sense because you're yeah. looking at if you you want to break it down into the difficulty to find it, it's an average check. So because yeah. it's always half the uh, rounding up uh, the, uh, the difficulty or half the rarity. So yeah, it makes total sense. Total sense. Very good. I really like the way that you you brought in. Uh, I was. I was dying to see how it was done with the lasgun vulnerability. And I think that's perfect. So, uh, well, done. I really,
1: I really that's scratched great. my head on that. I thought about not including it at all, but I I, 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 I went through some iterations and I was like, you know, no, there's a way to do that. There's a way to do this and, and make it accurate. But at the same time, Without without overcomplicating, I mean, I'm adding enough overcomplication. Mm. I ha- I had to put some at least some damage numbers in there, right? Which which yeah, in itself yeah. is a bit more complicated than I would like. But then, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, it's it's like it's one line. It's like, look, it does this, but oh, by the way, you can use advantage triumph or threat despair to change the outcome potentially if you want to get mm. stupid enough to do this. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> very good. No, that's great. All right, so my little creation. Um, uh, look, basically, I wanted something a little bit fantasy-related, but I had to relate it back to something else. Um, so I've decided on the Great Helm. Uh, so uh, something that uh, I first saw way back in, in the day, somewhere in d and I can't remember where, um, but the great helm is designed for leaders, uh, to, you know, inspire their troops. Yet it's, it's going to be quite bulky to wear. Uh, now I've gone against the grain here and, and added some extra rules, but they aren't complicated enough to cause any major mechanical flubs. So this item could potentially be an attachment. Uh, and I know that we're not going to be talking about attachments, but it could potentially be an attachment to existing armor. But due to its nature, I I felt that it could be worn basically by anyone uh, who doesn't want to wear armor because, you know, it might be difficult with their spellcasting ability and stuff like that. No, no, holy, Um,
1: holy, but holy, holy, but by anyone, by anyone, are you maybe meaning, (laughs) I don't know, evil, anti-heroic illusionist with a, a serious penchant for messing with time streams?
0: Yeah, okay. Uh, you guessed it. I've managed to tie this back into superheroes, uh, particularly Loki. Uh, so uh, his great helm with the huge, big antlers—it um, really is an awkward thing. I mean, to to look at it with its with the horns and the way that he carries himself. I mean, it's taller than than his staff that he's holding. So, uh, and and secondly, how that crocodile was clamoring about with him, I'll just never know if you haven't watched loki uh, spoilers <laughs> so um but it's also really good at protecting one's head
1: okay okay i'm sorry to interrupt i'm sorry to- i'm sorry to interrupt i'm sorry to interrupt but audible like for fans of loki who've been watching loki are you familiar with the izod polo shirts that have a little alligator on the breast
0: Embroidered yeah, alligator,
1: yeah, yes. You know what I'm talking about. Right. Yep. You can go on Etsy, yep, yep. and there's people making knockoff Izod shirt, uh, polo shirts that have the alligator embroidered with the little Loki home on them.
0: <laughs> really? <Yes>. That's awesome. <laughs> yes, I love it. I have a I have a friend who's a seamstress, and she's got one of those magical sewing machines that can do that.
1: No, mm. there's no reason. There's no reason mm. you couldn't do this. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> Anyway, way, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the aside. I'm sorry for the interruption. I want to hear, dude. Walk, walk me through the steps for for Loki's helm. Uh, excuse me. I mean the Great Helm. Uh, uh, talk, <laughs> Very good. Talk, 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 talk me through this, man.
0: All right. So, uh, step one is describe and name the armor. Uh, the Great Helm. I've called it or Loki's helmet. Uh, don't, don't judge me, Chris. <laughs> so the helmet is a heavy piece of armor that is uh, it's where it can bolt into place. Or wear basically as normal. Uh, It uh, consists of uh, headpieces or antlers in some cases um, or some type of ornament that increases the overall size of the helm and replaces um, any helmet the armour already possesses. So step two... Oh, but, yes. but,
1: well, um, I'm sorry to interrupt again, but like, no, like
0: I love the idea. It
1: doesn't need to be antlers. Like you talk about a great helm. I think of the, the old Roman like Legionnaire helmets that those huge yeah. horsehair crests, you know? Yep. yep, um, yep yeah. Yep. You, dude. Yeah. It could be something like outrageous like that. That's just like big yeah. and huge and bulky. Yeah.
0: Or, or if you're a huge fan of 40K, Warhammer 40K. Yeah. You some of the, the big bosses uh, and the size of their helmets. You know, and uh, they've always got these huge big things. Because, I mean, it, it's got Roman influences in there, obviously. Um, so, yeah, that that's kind of what I was looking at, more of a generic sort of perspective rather than just my Loki <laughs> bend on everything. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so step two, which is soak, uh, after that little tangent. Um, I'm going to give this piece zero soak. Uh, because that's not really what the item does. And secondly, it's only protecting the head. It's not protecting the rest of the body. So I felt that a a soak was pointless. So I've given it a soak of zero. Very similar to yours, Chris. Mm. Step three, however, defense. Now, like Chris, I've messed with this a bit, primarily to avoid a headshot kill of the BBEG. I hate that rule. Can I just? That's <laughs> Use it. You don't.
1: No, no like, like, you don't like, I don't use it w- I want to call, call shot his head. It's like <laughs> that's like, it's like okay, you can call shot his head. That will, that will, uh, you know, the, the way I, the way I've always, and again, it's a house rule of mine. Is like mm-hmm. if, if you pull it off, mm-hmm. and you crit, yep. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. give you the, I'll give you the crit that impacts the head. Basically, the yeah, yep. that's that's how I've always yep. done it.
0: Unfortunately, it just doesn't say that in the rules. And I no, think well, that's, a, that's a nice fix. But, um, yeah, it's the the one little issue that I have with uh, with the aim maneuver. But, anyway, that's a side note. Um, so, um, as a result, I'm going to give it a defense of plus two for any attack that targets the head with an aimed shot. Um, this gives a huge increase to defense, but it is is aimed at keeping your BBEG alive. Uh, now, I've said plus two defense because it's going to add on to any defense that comes from your normal armor because it can be worn with additional armor if you want it to be. So rather than just it gives two defense because they don't know to stack, that I've basically said that it's a plus two. So that's a bit of a different thing there.
1: Plus two, four, I want to clarify and confirm plus two Mm. specifically for the head for called shots to the head specifically
0: yeah okay so that's a really specific thing (laughs) (laughs) but i mean that's the point of it um so step four with encumbrance now while small sort of um it really is bulky and it's awkward and therefore it needs a higher level of encumbrance than what you might think from a helmet Therefore, I really have two choices. Now, it's either give it a high encumbrance like five, which then when worn, because it's armor, uh, it reduces by three, or give it an average encumbrance like two, but give it a special rule that when worn, it doesn't reduce by three. Now, since it's something I picture resting on a mantle um, on, above a, a massive fireplace, never ever worn until wearing it into battle, um, or magically appearing in the case of Loki, I went with an encumbrance of five, not whoa, because of the whoa. weight, but the awkwardness. So that will reduce to obviously an encumbrance of two. Now, ah, from that reaction, yeah, okay, 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 okay. you're probably going to say it's too high.
1: Yeah, I'm going to challenge you on that. What? What? Sure. Why?
0: Because it's huge. It's a massive S- chunk so, of metal.
1: Uh, that's fine. Do you think wearing it will Mm. seriously impact someone's ability to carry other gear? Because this is the point of encumbrance when it's worn.
0: Um, I think that when, uh, I mean, I've obviously got some other negatives that will come into play here, but realistically you can't move your head very much and that's going to affect balance. And because if you're carrying extra stuff, you're going to be really off kilter.
1: but like what it. you've described is not encumbrance. What you've described is a special negative quality that would give you a setback diet of coordination. okay? That's not what encumbrance does. Mm-hmm. Encumbrance is encumbrance in terms of raw is about weight, mm-hmm. okay It's about how much you can carry without getting tired. okay we We use things like uh, at, you 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 get, you give it a good word. you said um uh awkwardness. Okay, mm. Uh, mm. It, it's it's so bulky and awkward. Um, mm. you, you know, we use that as a barometer for encumbrance, but you have to think about the end goal of encumbrance. I don't care what mm. kind of antlers it on, is on there. You're telling <laughs> me that wearing this helmet is going to be as heavy on your body as wearing a full set of studded leather, mm. banded leather.
2: Because
1: mm. that's Maybe. what <laughs> I, 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 I I don't I oh no 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 I'm sorry I'm 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 way undercosting that I'm sorry plate mail has an encumbrance of five <laughs> and two and yeah. one so you're telling me that this helm is an equivalent mm-hmm. weight and and cumbersomeness as plate mm. so if i wear it with plate mm. i've doubled my encumber i mean dude so i'm challenging you on this man i i think i understand i understand where your brain went i don't yeah. I, but i don't i i think i think you should do this narratively. If you want to add a special negative quality for its awkwardness, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But I, I mm-hmm. still think you should encumber this as a normal helmet.
2: Okay,
1: my, or or maybe one higher. Hmm. Ma- maybe. Okay.
0: So I mean, if we basically reduce it to three, right, and then when it's worn, it has an encumbrance of zero.
1: Oh yeah, sure. But oh my god, I I have an even I have an even better idea for you. Yes. Keep it at an encumbrance of five, but <laughs> right. But 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 no 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 no. Like in design, keep it as an at an encumbrance of five, mm-hmm. but reduce its encumbrance in the final product by two. Looking at Table three dot one dash one, armor cost calculations. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. decrease the encumbrance, you, the creator, decrease the encumbrance, but less than what it should be, there's an associated mm-hmm. cost. And as we'll come to, this is going to, I imagine it's going to be a hell of an expensive item, okay? Mm-hmm. Especially considering yeah. it, it does. If you kept it at five, uh, like in design, and then in terms of the table and published costs, you decrease its encumbrance by two to get it down to three, or do you know, decrease the mm-hmm. encumbrance by three to get it down to, to or yeah, by three. Mm-hmm. You increase it by two to get it down to three. That's an extra Hmm. 250 additional cost. Like, wow, that's that's totally reasonable. So, dude, even so, dude, even forget everything I just said. Even if you feel that encumbrance five is valid, you can Hmm. still have your cake and eat it too, just by increasing the cost of the item.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: Okay. Just a thought exercise.
0: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
1: But either way, it means in the final stat block, your encumbrance listed would be three.
0: Yeah. So,
1: yeah, yeah I, I, like I mean, that. yeah, that yeah it's,
2: it's,
0: it's, a, yeah. I don't know, play, play with it. Yeah. Mm. It's an idea. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I like it. I like it. So, now we go on to step five, which is special rules and item qualities. Uh, so, the first one I've called Inspire Your Army. Now, this is sort of this sort of helm uh, is one that leaders would use to inspire confidence. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, if you can imagine, the leader of your 40k army or, you know, the shape-changing evil sorcerer adorned with a helmet with two snake heads like this or, coming together <laughs> coming together sun above and moon below uh, they're going <laughs> to or, as I mentioned before, Loki um, they're going to give a, a bit of a confidence boost to your people or the Shatari um <laughs> <laughs> that they <lead. laughs> So for this, I'm allowing them an upgrade to any social skill they use to inspire or intimidate using leadership or coercion, respectively. Um, I went sort of one up from providing a boost, uh, and I know that that sort of goes against my own grain because I love Boost Eye and giving Boost Eye, uh, but I felt a full upgrade here was more appropriate, mainly because of the triumph side of things that you can get that.
1: Dude, it's a very powerful special ability, but as long as it's costed appropriately, I, I think yeah. I think it's reasonable. And dude, kudos for coming in with the Conan reference, man. Like, <laughs> I, I didn't even I didn't even think about that. And what's ironic is, like, I kid you not, not ten days ago, I sat mm-hmm. down in bed late at night if my wife had gone to sleep, and I was flumming around Amazon Prime, and I found yep. Conan the Barbarian, and I rewatched nice. it. I rewatched it again. And, yeah, dude, Tulsa Doom, James Earl Jones, his helmet. Mm. He had one of these helmets, man. It had the two giant-ass snakes coming off of it. Yep. Yeah, (laughs) that's a great callback.
0: So, yeah, so that was pretty cool. Um, Now, uh, the last thing, I can't see a damn thing in this helmet. Um, So, (laughs) when worn, the wearer takes two setback die to any perception and vigilance checks. Um, so this is more about the representation of how bulky it is uh, and just how much it is actually protecting the person's head. Um, now, I know that they've probably taken a little bit of um, you know, dramatic license when it comes to being able to see all of um, Loki's face. But um, yeah, it's it's solid metal and it's protecting his entire back part of his head. So well, it's not just so, eyes, yeah.
1: as you pointed out. You have got to be able to turn your head, right?
0: Turn your <laughs> head <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and the last one, and I'm going to put a question mark here. i uh, we'll we'll explore it. Is reinforced. Now we know that we said that this is potent. It's stupidly potent. Um, and, uh, when creating this armor, I did, you know, take into consideration this item quality, but I eventually decided to go with it, uh, with a slight caveat. So the reinforced quality only applies to attacks aimed at the wearer's head.
1: So I have, I have a problem with this.
0: (laughs) Okay, go ahead. (laughs) And it's not that you've
1: applied the reinforced quality. Mm. It's that it doesn't actually give any benefit to the armor. Because your armor ha- provides no soak.
0: Now I'm confused.
1: Yeah, well, no, you you said this hat this 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 helmet provides a soak of zero. Yeah, true. Well, reinforced allows uh, allows uh, basically ignores pierce and breach. Right. Pierce and breach overcomes soak. There's no soak to overcome.
3: Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: now, not for nah, this. I now, mean. not for this conversation. If you applied it as an attachment that would be different because then it could apply to the whole armor that would provide soak. But at that yeah, point yeah. I would, I would really want good justification as to how a helmet implied reinforcement to the entire yeah. armor set.
0: And that so, doesn't work. And that, that's not what my original thing was.
1: Yeah. No, no.
0: Okay. So you've said that, but and, and this is just basically to get it straight in my head. Um, so with the helmet, because it has a soak of zero, when I give it the reinforced quality. You said that basically it has no soak, so therefore the reinforced quality wouldn't apply. Right. But if right. it's worn and it's got plus zero, the person still has brawn, which means oh, they'll
1: they have a soaked. Uh, yep, 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 yeah. yep,
0: yep, yep. I'm glad yep, I'm not going duh, crazy.
1: Duh. Okay, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah, of course. They're still going to have a soak from their brawn. Um, mm. And it will be a minimum of one, even if they have the worst brunt. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I'm wrong. Yep. Okay. Gamer yep. Nation, oh, yeah. please forget my remark made in an exhausted state of tiredness. I, I've been wearing my fop outfit just way too much.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, Okay. <laughs> that's never going to get old, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so step six is cost and rarity. So now that we've come to cost and rarity, for cost, let's go through the table on page 198 as we did with Chris's invention. Um, so we've got a zero cost, zero soak, so it's going to have zero cost. Uh, it's going to have a two defense. Would normally cost 500, but you know I I pretty much nerfed it completely um, to only apply to a called headshot. So let's cuss the cost difference by what? Three fifths? I think that's Mm. or thereabouts. So, and to make it easier for math, um, it's 200. Uh, And uh, which I think was fairly reasonable. Uh, And as the special rules and item qualities, uh, it has the upgrade to leadership and coercion. Uh, which is pretty intense, and it's probably worth more than fifty. So I'd say bump it up to to two hundred, maybe a hundred.
1: Mm. so really, what you, what you've got here is one special ability that really is two because one special ability yeah, true, would be the boost true. would be a bump to leadership. one special ability would be a bump to yep. coercion. so yeah, I, yep. if you if you even had them separately as just a boost die, they might be worth fifty each. Mm okay or yeah. yep. even then like maybe removing a setback die would be 50 each maybe 100 each moving mm. uh you know for, for the boost you've yeah. you've with the upgrade yeah man i would do 200 total maybe even maybe even higher but it, it, it's not going to matter well I, I i'm reading the notes it's not going to matter but well well yeah yeah, yep.
0: yeah. so so that's going to bring the yeah that's going to bring our total cost up to right now at 400 and with two setback dies to perception and vigilance, which is pretty nasty, um, you know, I don't really think that the negative 50 is enough. So, let's treat them as two separate negatives, um, which is kind of basically what you were saying before, Chris, um, for a total of negative 100, uh, which brings our total cost to 300. But then we have the reinforced quality, um, but um, you know i 've uh, reduced the effectiveness of it by making it only apply uh, when the aim maneuver is uh, taken against the helm, uh, thereby I think reducing the cost from three thousand uh, and i 'm happy to uh, to reduce that to two thousand because reinforced is still crazy powerful. So that brings, uh, the total amount to 2,300. But all of this realistically is purely academic. And the reason is, is because the, the costs or the final cost of 2,200, is that what we're going to actually charge? The answer to that question is no. Um, it's probably going to be maybe 10000 or maybe it's not going to have any price at all. Yeah. Now, why? Because it's pretty much a unique item. If it was able to be purchased, um, it should be massively expensive, which um, combined with rarity should make it unobtainable on the market. And speaking of rarity, these things don't just lie about waiting for anyone to buy at your local Walmart. Well, unless it's plastic and it's something for the kiddies, <laughs> so I'm really going to set the rarity. I'm going to say eight at this point. Although, because we've said it, really is going to depend on you know whether we give it a ten thousand cost or whether we don't.
1: You can you can make it a nine. You can make it a nine because you divide in half, round and round up.
0: Yep, so a nine yep. sounds reasonable. Um, and uh, yeah. I think, I mean, the other thing to take into consideration, and this is something which isn't affected in the mechanics of it, is that it's going to have a story behind it. And so with that, if somebody suddenly found with it, there are going to be some potential negative consequences if they aren't the leader of that particular army. Um, and that's something that you just can't cover in the rules, but you might have it in the write-up for that yeah. particular item. 'Cause it would have a history. So yeah.
1: Now if you made the I, I think what makes this a legendary unique item is the upgrade to two separate social skill checks, which mm-hmm. are extremely important. Mm-hmm. If you made those boost die,
2: mm-hmm. like a
1: single boost die to leadership and coercion, mm-hmm. I would probably cut this cost down and, 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 and you stripped Loki away from it and just made it like a, a uh, you know, a a, a general's helm, mm-hmm. okay? Uh something like that. You could strip the cost down to a thousand. Yep. And you're still going to be well within uh, uh, plan for costing. Hmm. You're still going to have updated the cost appropriately. It's still going to be way too expensive for anyone to reasonably purchase, except an emperor or <laughs> a you know a general. Massively, <laughs> a grand, a grand is a grand is a lot hmm. in 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 the in the style of setting where this is going to matter. Okay, yeah. you know, in Dune, less so. Okay, but hmm. you could you could you could probably get down to a grand, maybe five grand if you want to still keep it kind of up there. Yeah. which is not unobtainable. Hmm. It's just really, really, really
0: unique. Yeah. Very good. I like it. Dude, the
2: I love it. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I've been thinking about mine for a long time. Um yeah. I've been thinking about mine for an, for an absolute, absolutely long time.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: so, yeah. Yeah, dude. Good options, guys. Well, listen, if, if – <sighs> hopefully you guys have have enjoyed this and huli i know you're going to have uh notes up on this um in mm. in, in fairly short order um yep. with these with these kind of set out we'd like to know what you guys think about these seriously uh just your general feedback and, and please as huli said if you ever have the chance to play test any of this material we really want to know about it mm-hmm. um because yeah th- that that really helps and and huli when we i don't know if our listeners know this but when we get feedback like that. Mm-hmm. we do go in and adjust prior published stuff we create we actually do guys yeah because we we want those to be living documents that are free for you guys to reference and use hmm. um and and uh you know cooly i think i don't know if you've Done it, but I think uh, you, if if you do it, if it makes a meaningful change like that, right. I think you even put a footnote in there, a uh, uh, asterisk saying, you know, was you know f- play testing feedback, so people know, like, wow, this has actually gotten some table play, and that's Absolutely. why that's why it was put in. Absolutely. Uh, um, so that I mean, that's. Yeah, guys. So seriously, we, we really want to get your feedback, mm. and we want to know also what you guys have created. Seriously, get get to our social media, guys. Go to us, uh, search for us at Forge Genesis. You know, on on the social medias. Uh, you know, whether it be Discord or Facebook or, or or you know Twitter, and and let us know like what your own creations
0: are and what you mm. come up with this methodology. Absolutely, love hearing that stuff. Mm. It's good. It's good. We want more. We want <laughs> we want to know what you're creating through your campaigns. Um, and, look, if it really helps you guys who uh, are out there creating stuff, please just let us know as well because, you know, I know that some people have contacted us privately to say that um, it's really helped them in the creation of their products. Um, so, that's that's amazing feedback to receive uh, because it means that, uh, you know, we're really helping the community and that's ultimately – what our goal here at The Forge is, is to, uh, to help you in not only your private games, but also to help you in your foundry releases as well. So, yeah, let us know <laughs> is what we say. <laughs> All right. So that was a really cool segment, but I think we should talk some a little bit more about some rules, um, specifically about a couple of skills. What do you reckon, Chris?
1: I reckon that's a good idea. See there, I, I I put my FOP outfit away and I brought out my cowboy outfit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which is a normal attire in Texas, isn't it? <laughs> Just a stereotype. The only
1: in only in my house only only in my household i don't i don't i don't want to get into bedroom habits Huli. that's this isn't the show for that so you know you can you know i'm I, frankly i'm a little insulted that you'd bring that kind of personal nature into the show you know i i have felix and my you know i'm i'm gonna be who i'm gonna be and and you know i'm i'm proud to be me
0: i think this thing got a little bit too serious <laughs>
1: No, what, what, what? Now, now, where my brain is going is that I think about, I, I'm trying to figure out how many thousands of people each week do a search for role playing podcast and get severely disappointed when they listen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man! It's amazing when you start talking to people about well, what do you do for a hobby? Hi, oh, role play, and they go, "Mm-hmm." <laughs> sure, yeah. Oh, really?
1: That's fantastic. Excuse me. <laughs> DMI.
0: Oh <laughs> dear. Let's get into some die casting. <laughs>
1: let's, let's do it.
0: Die casting.
1: So, the Forge podcast is all about bringing new creations to the table, and the Genesis RPG provides us all with a powerful set of tools to do so, specifically through skills and the talents. And the die casting segment is about closely examining individual skills, individual talents, and how they relate to the creations in which you craft. And it's been a while since we visited Die Casting, Um, episode 21, actually, where we took a deep look at alchemy. Um, Tonight, however, we will be turning our attention to a very different set of skills. And I do mean skills... Plural, not with a Z, because I am not a... Well, <laughs> I'm an Xennial, I guess. I don't know. Sometimes I'm a millennial, sometimes I I, I, I really don't know. But anyway, skills, plural, because we are going to be diving into a pair of related skills mm-hmm. that can actually be used interchangeably in some cases, though most players and GMs do not consider that. Instead, one of them is heavily overused, the other criminally underused.
0: Indeed. And what Chris is talking about are the twin skills of perception and vigilance. Now, both deal with awareness, uh, but have very different uses. And yes, the wrong skill is frequently used in situations of awareness. And frankly, this confusion and frequent misuse has been going on since Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's,
1: (laughs) it's still going on, yep, yep.
0: Um, which is uh, which? Of these two skills, uh, do you use? You know, in in what ways, when, or how? You know, tonight we're going to do our best to shed our own awareness on this issue.
1: See that right there, podcasting gold, right there. Very <laughs> good. All Part right, <laughs> all right, guys. So, so. Like we do, let's talk about the basics. What are these two skills? Huli, Hmm. talk to me about le perception.
0: Le perception is a cunning skill. In other words, it's based on cunning. And you can find that on the Core Rulebook. In the Core Rulebook, in fact, on page 62. Uh, When your character wants to make an active attempt to study their surroundings, notice clues in a crime scene, or search for hidden foes, they use the perception skill to do so. Perception represents your character's conscious use of all five senses to observe their environment. Perception represents your character's active use, and we'll highlight that, active use of their senses. It's also recommended that the skill be used in all settings. Now, it's used for when your character wants to search a crime scene for clues, your character wants to study the surrounding landscape for possible threats, Your character conducts surveillance on an unaware target from a distance. We also call that stalking. Um, Your character (laughs) studies an ancient relic, trying to spot any minute details that could reveal its purpose or construction. Or how much they could get for it. That's right. That's that's a different story.
1: (laughs) No, that's that's what it's used for. What perception is not used for. Um, Mm -hmm. Your character tries to avoid being surprised during an ambush. Um, constant unconscious awareness of your character's surroundings is a function of the vigilance skill spoiler alert uh, (laughs) um, you don't use it you do not use it if your character is being lied to and you're trying to find out uh, or, or you're trying to find out if your character has noticed that or not Mm-hmm. Um again, vigilance is the skill for that situation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, your character tries to follow a trail or track a foe through the wilderness. Um, that is by definition a use of the survival skill, which would mm-hmm. cover those activities. Mm-hmm. So, guys, already we can see <laughs> that even the rules are showing a very clear difference between perception and vigilance. Mm-hmm. But we will we will come to that. Mm-hmm. Coolly, are, you know, like we do with these, you know, for people that want to make perception heavy characters and really kind of tweak the mechanics and do something. Are are there any species that are out there published so far that have inherent, you know, bonuses to perception or you know, ideally free ranks? Obviously, as a, as a part of uh, their their species,
0: mm, or archetype? there are absolutely there are um, uh, all of them. Bar one, in sure. fact. So the first one in the core rule book is the elf, uh, which uh, has which is really good. Uh, EPG has the cursed shifter, um, which makes total sense. Uh, Realm of Terranoth, Realms of Terranoth even, um, it has the cat folk because those damn cats, they have all the perception in the world. Um, and uh, Shadow of the Beanstalk doesn't have any. That's our odd one out. And then Secrets of the Crucible has the spirit, for they are everywhere. Uh, but what the about spirit. careers with a perception on their career skill list, Chris?
1: Oh, yeah. Perception is uh, like one of the most heavily granted skill. I mean, career skills for out there. I mean, Mm -hmm.
0: and the Coral Bacolone,
1: the explorer, the leader, the socialite, the soldier, the tradesperson, the hacker, the fighter pilot, the starship (laughs) captain. They all get perception on the career list. Yeah. Um, uh, In realms, there obviously are no careers in expanded players guide, but in realms of Tyrannoth, uh, the mage, the scholar, the scout. Mm-hmm. Um, Shadow of the Beanstalk. You got the Investigator, the Risty, the Runner. They all have it. And in um, in Secrets of the Crucible, you got the Embermancer, the dis- the Discoverer, um, mm-hmm. the Engineer, and the Performer all get access mm-hmm. to it. So, like, there's a ton of careers that have perception on their skills because it's perception. It's very heavily used. It's very common.
0: Yeah, skills. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah.
1: But how does this compare, Huli, to Vigilance?
0: Mm-hmm. So, Vigilance is a willpower skill. Uh, it's uh, found on the Core Rulebook, in the Core Rulebook. I'll get that right yet, uh, <laughs> which is on page 65, unless you've written it on your book. But anyway, that would be silly. Um, so, vigilant represents the ability to be constantly aware of your surroundings, often without consciously making the effort. Characters with ranks in vigilance are more likely to spot threats in their environment, notice important clues out of the corner of their eye and catch lies as they are being told. Now, vigilance is a mostly passive skill in terms of description. It's supposed to be used when your character doesn't really expect a threat, isn't looking for a clue, or is otherwise unaware of something important. Uh, and this is why it's it's used in initiative, especially when you're surprised, as opposed to cool. And I know that we've we've already done a segment where we compared those two. Vigilance is also one of the skills that you use to oppose certain social skill checks, primarily deception, as it represents your passive wariness. Now, this is something which is very different in Genesis compared to Star Wars. Yeah. Now, in Star Wars, they use discipline versus deception, but uh, I certainly would recommend uh, using Vigilance instead, mainly as it allows Vigilance to be used more often Um, It is a far more of an appropriate skill to oppose deception in the first place as, um, you know, uh, you're looking for small tells and things like that that can indicate uh, that somebody is lying. And lastly, uh, for number three, it's also a willpower based skill. So it makes just that little bit more sense, if that makes any sense um to uh, to use vigilance versus deception um so uh, it's also recommended that the skill be used in all settings um and it's used for uh when your character just got ambushed and you are rolling to determine initiative order um a, a high vigilance means that your character has a better chance of reacting quickly to the threat um it's used when your character is being lied to So the opponent's deception check is opposed by your character's vigilance and your character has a chance to notice important details in their surroundings while not looking for them directly. Effectively, for those who play D&D, this is your passive perception. Basically,
1: yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. basically. In terms of what it's not used for, you know, uh, it's not used – uh, you're, you're determining initiative order when your character is not surprised.
2: <laughs>
3: okay,
1: uh, you know, uh, as you just said, you know, it's, it's such as such as when they're the ambushers instead of the ambushed. In that mm-hmm. case, obviously, your character would use cool, as you said. Um, also, it's not used when your character is actively looking for something. Um, mm-hmm. If they say, oh, I want to look for something, I want to search, I want to see if I can spot, you should call for a perception check. And it, it's very clear here how the rules delineate the two skills, okay? Mm-hmm. What's, what's, what's really in, intriguing to me is I was... Um, This afternoon, I was watching uh, the second half of The Fellowship of the Ring with my daughter. There's a scene when they're in the mines of Moria, and Frodo's sitting there with Gandalf being all morose. And he he, he sort of glances, and out of the corner of his eye, he sees Gollum crawling up the rocks. Mm. Right. Towards mm-hmm. them, and then Gandalf has that wonderful moment where he's like, you know, it was pity that stayed Bilbo's hand, you know, Mithril, which is why we say it that way, by the way, um, uh, you know, and and that, that's a great example of vigilance. Okay, mm. uh at that moment, you know, the, the, totally passive; they weren't looking for Gollum. Frodo just noticed him. All right. Mm. Conversely, not ten minutes earlier in the film, uh. Actually, no. These words weren't used. I'm pretty sure they were used in Two Towers because I don't want to get stoned. But there, there's a there, there, there's there's a moment where uh they're they're traveling before they decide to take the pass of Caradhras and they're forced to turn back um, mm. when it gets too bad. The instating event uh, event was that they got a visit from from Crowbane from Dunland, right? The the, the right. flock of of Crowbane that mm-hmm. that that came and found them. Legolas was the first one to notice those crows. Right, yeah. and Legolas is literally sitting on the rock, like, scanning. I mean, he was doing that through the whole scene. It was active perception all the way. Yeah. And then there's another thing in Two Towers. I think when they're chasing Merry and Pippin, where a classic callback line from the books, and Aragorn's like, "Legolas, what do your elf eyes see? <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> look, look with your special eyes, my brand."
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah,
1: they're active perception. Totally, yeah.
0: Radio, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. There's a bromance there going on. There is no two eyes about it. I love it.
1: (laughs) Dude, dude, there may be there may be that might be your episode title for us. I don't know. (laughs) 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 Look, look with your special eyes.
3: (laughs) My brand!
0: (laughs) Love it. Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, I think we're broken, Chris. Uh, <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> it's late, sorry. <laughs> it, it is. So let's took, take a look very quickly at the species uh, with free ranks or special bonuses to Vigilance. How many of them are there, Chris? It's, it's a quick look,
1: man. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Core Rulebook? Uh, none. Uh, Realms of Tyrannoth, Uh None. Uh, Shadow of the Beanstalk? Uh, oh, no, None. Uh, oh, here we go. Uh, here we go. Secret to the Crucible. Uh, nope, nope, none. Um, oh, 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 oh. Expanded Player's Guide. Huh? The Dampier.
0: Oh.
1: Uh-huh. gets a free rank in Vigilance. Quite fitting. Quite fitting. Mm, I agree. Yeah. We're doing a lot better with careers, though. What about careers?
0: Yes. So careers we've got in the core book. We've got the healer, the socialite, the soldier, the hacker, the fighter pilot. One would hope he's got Vigilance. Uh, knight, Druid, Wizard. In realms of Terranoth, we have envoy, scout. Mm, I wonder if we've got some sort of theme happening there. So, envoy, scout, and warrior. Uh, Shadow of the Beanstalk. We've got the investigator, the rusty. I love rusties, by the way. Um, the roughneck, and in Secrets of the Crucible, arbiter, Ar- arbitrator,
1: arbitrator. It's the it's the arbitrator, and the I'm the greatest arbitrator that's ever arbitrated. <laughs>
0: And I didn't think we were going to be political
1: <laughs> what are you talking about
0: <laughs> and then we've got <laughs> then we've got the engineer and the rogue uh from oh, sorry secrets of the crucible so uh, so there's that uh and there's quite a few of them uh, yeah. in, uh in comparison to species who don't um so uh, interesting but anyway so, outside of the listed skill usages, according to RAW, how else can you use both perception and vigilance, Chris? Ah,
1: so this, this is interesting. So, obviously, we have all the things we just told you guys, right? They're straight from the skill blocks, right? right? But buried in the rules in other places are all kinds of interesting little ways that you can use one or both skills. Hmm. Um uh, the first one is is used for both. When you're when, when searching for concealed gear, this little nugget is on page eighty five. Um, the the searcher makes an opposed perception or vigilance check versus your character's stealth. Mm-hmm. The difference is whether the search is active or passive. Obviously, okay. So mm-hmm. if it's a formal pat down. Right, it's going to be perception versus a sentry that happens to watch you walk past and is like, "Wait a minute, he's got a baseball bat under that trench coat." Uh, You know, that's (laughs) that's going to be that's going to be vigilance. Right, Uh, right, yeah, very good. So,
0: Um, and then we've got um, well, just vigilance, and that says we've kind of already mentioned is for initiative, Uh, and it's on the sidebar on page ninety-five. Uh, which realistically is the, bo- is the most basic use of vigilance. And it's the yeah. one you're going to be using pretty much all the time. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Um,
1: now, the next two that I want to talk about, though, the- these aren't ways to use the skills, but they're things that affect the skills. And mm-hmm. I-, I think these are important rules that we do need to call out. For perception specifically, um, the rules do call out that cover affects perception. Mm-hmm. um adding setback die as appropriate along with adding range defense everyone jumps into cover to add range defense but mm-hmm. there's more than one reason to jump into cover you do it because it adds setback die to perception checks <laughs> okay <It's pretty> <laughs> so, so, so don't forget that and then mm-hmm. on the same and this is on page 110 of the core rule book which also covers concealment okay mm-hmm. and concealment's a different uh thing concealment actually affects both perception and vigilance okay mm-hmm. um which is which is uh, quite understanding. Uh, basically, both skills can suffer setback dice from concealment, obviously along with ranged combat checks, which is mm. normally what we think of when we think of concealment. So just don't forget, when you've got cover and concealment in play, it may impact perception and vigilance appropriately. Mm.
0: Indeed. The next one is uh, for perception only, and uh, it's for discerning another character's motivations. And that's on page 125. Mm. Now, the GM can allow you to discover one of a target's motivations with an opposed perception versus cool check, which is something that doesn't come up very often, but yeah. in my opinion, should.
1: Yeah, this is a totally forgotten rule. I don't know why everyone. Yeah, this is great.
0: <laughs> yeah, because when it comes, and this is one show that one segment of a show that I'd love to do at some point, and it's actually to talk about social combat. A lot of people get confused on how to use it. Um, and uh, there are certainly ways that you can represent that in your products as well as um, running in any games as well. But that's, this is a key thing because you can start to get boost eye for knowing their motivations, especially when it comes to if you are negotiating with someone for, you know, you're wanting to buy or borrow something important, but you you don't know what to offer them because they may be a king and they may have more money than God. So you need to know what it is that motivates them. So if you can find that out, you get a boost die or you get maybe multiple boost die if you, if you know any of their uh, their weaknesses and, and stuff like that. So this is an important thing to have uh, and to use it for. And then the last one is Vigilance, which is spotting the false nature of illusions created by the mask spell, which is on uh, page 100 of the uh, expanded player's guide. Which is something that doesn't come up very often either, unless you're using mask. So, yeah, uh, yeah. but it's a really cool way to use vigilance, um, and it's certainly better, in my opinion, than uh, than perception, because you're actually sort of trying to spot those little. Uh, does that person have the scar where it's supposed to be? That sort of thing.
1: Yeah, and it's yeah. not active. It's like it's just like it's gut feeling. Really, it's like it's mm. like wait a minute. Wait a minute!
3: <laughs>
1: you're much skinnier than my wife normally
2: looks.
3: <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, uh, you're not my wife. <laughs> I, I miss my wife.
0: Okay. <laughs> or it could be one of those things that um, where the uh, the NPC who is actually an illusion says, "You will be lobotomized." <laughs> and he sees this little trickle of sweat going down. Sweat, needs. yeah. Dude, that's a, that's
1: a much... You should delete my comment. That's a much better comment. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's absolutely, absolutely much better. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Look what you've done!
0: I love that film.
2: What have you <laughs> done?
1: Um... <laughs> Okay, so outside of those those rules references, we also, of course, we have talents. Ooh. There are talents spread through several books that that directly use either of these skills. Um, outside of, and we're not going to cover them. Uh, outside of the career skill granting talents, there's a bevy of talents that mm-hmm. give you career skill list access to either one of these. We don't really need to go over those, but um, you know, for those of you who really want to create a perception or vigilance focused character, there's some really interesting talent options that Ray may really play on that yeah i mean and I'd, I'd love to go through them
0: mm, sure so i think a first one is rapid reaction uh, uh. And that's on page 74 so tier one ranked active incidental or out of turn uh your character may suffer a number of strain to use this talent to add an equal number of successes to a vigilance or cool check they make to determine initiative order uh, the number may not exceed your character's ranks in rapid reaction. One of my all-time favorite talents to take a tier one. Yeah, <laughs> it really <laughs> is great. Yeah. Yeah. Next to um, um Knackford, of course, but um <laughs> <yeah>. anyway. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a really great talent for any any character to take. Mm. Um now we get to one that really is uh I love giving this talent to especially when I make pregens, um uh, mm-hmm. Because players never think to take this. I don't know why. I think it's because most players aren't interested in creating characters that all they do is buff. Um, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: I guess that's why. But this talent's heightened awareness. Cool rulebook, page 76. It's mm-hmm. tier two, non-ranked, passive. Allies within short range of you add one boost die to their perception and vigilance checks. And allies engage with you at two boost die instead. I love... like This This talent existed in Star Wars 2, mm-hmm. and uh, a version of it. And any time... I had a character that was focused on uh, clairvoyance, okay, Mm. Um, or or farsight, okay? Um, I I ran, uh, for those who've listened to me and Steve, I ran uh, ran a a psionic adventure for them, right? And and one of the characters is is clearly focused on on future foretelling, right? And that's that's their psychic ability. Mm. I gave them this talent, okay, because narratively, it's totally representative of that. Right, it's like it's like yeah, I can oh, oh watch out, I can say uh, okay, uh, uh, right? Um, but yeah, I, I love heightened awareness. I think it's another hidden gem. I mean, people don't take it because it's like it's like well, it doesn't give me anything. No, but it gives the five other people next to you two boosts die on their vigilance checks. Are you a moron? Like, like I like this was a phenomenal talent for the cost. Absolutely mm. phenomenal. I mean.
0: And what's interesting, though, is that just because they're the ones that are rolling the vigilance check doesn't necessarily mean that you won't benefit from that because when it comes to your uh, initiative order, it's not, it's not tied to one specific individual. It's not like D&D. You can, if your friend has got a much higher um, skill in it, and they, and you've just given them I oh, well, guess what? You may find that you're going to be taking that first initiative slot anyway. So, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it is one of the ones that gets um, uh, harped on a lot in some of the forums and whatever else when they talk about heightened awareness because they say, oh, it should basically affect everyone, including me. But no, that's not the, that's not the core of it. It's basically that look out moment, effectively. So, uh, so yeah, but anyway. Um, the next one that we have on our list is Dungeoneer. Now, it's in Realms of Terranoth. It's on page 84. It's a tier one talent. It's ranked, passive, and it states that after your character makes a perception, vigilance, or knowledge adventuring check to notice, identify, or avoid a threat in a cavern, subterranean ruin, or similar location, your character cancels a number of uncancelled threat no greater than your character's ranks in Dungeoneer.
1: Yeah, this is a really intriguing one. You don't have a whole lot of abilities that allow you to cancel threat.
0: No. Right? Mm.
1: Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, you've got some that are like, yeah, you get a free advantage, or you get multiple advantages you can add to the roll, right? But none that are like, no, you get to remove threat. Um, <laughs> I, I really, really like that. And it's also very flavorful because that's the thing, is if you roll no threat, it doesn't really matter. If you say add advantage, yeah, it can cancel out threat, but then it's oh, I found something else. This isn't about that. The engineer is about avoiding crap. Okay, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, and that's really why why it's crafted that way. I really, I really like it. But I also really like our next one. I, I'm I'm I love this talent. I wish it wasn't tier four, but frankly, it needs to be tier four because of what it does.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And this would be elementary. Um, it's in Shadow of the Beanstalk, page fifty one, uh, tier four, non ranked, active action. Once per session, and it should be, your character may use this talent to make a hard three purple perception check while present at a crime scene. If they succeed, they identify all prominent physical characteristics of one person who was at the crime scene when the crime was committed. As long as the crime was committed in the last 48 hours. That could include a person's weight, height, body type, clothing, and whether they're human or not. Your character may identify all the physical characteristics of one additional person present at the crime scene per additional advantage.
0: Okay. Ooh, thanks. That
1: Sheila. Is, that is <laughs> insane. Okay. You you get a good role and you can fill a lineup.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yep.
1: I mean, I, 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 dude. I mean, it's yeah. It's Sherlock. It, it's brilliant. <laughs> and what I love about it is the narrative that it doesn't even go into. It's like, yeah, you make this check, and you could just identify. How how is that done? Maybe you Sherlocked it through clues and hair samples. Well, by the weight of this man's shoes, I can clearly say that, you know, he had a limp and was you know, he's a Portuguese from the Southern Isles and, and <laughs> right. Or it could just be, you know, yeah, I cased the joint and I found seven witnesses who gave me some descriptions. All right. Mm. And mm. I convinced them to talk to me. And I've got i I've got three descriptions right here of various people that were here. And again, it's just people who are present. It's not perps. Okay. Mm. It's not it, it, dude it's just people who are present who maybe give you more information mm. and so i i love that because it also gives you a way to continue the story without boxing the gm in yes I really love that
0: mm. yep it's not a story ending ability no. it's like something that continues it on in a really yeah. way yeah, yeah and I, I, I
1: absolutely it. love it mm.
0: And then our final talent is quick-witted. Now, it's in Shadow of the Beanstalk, page 51. Again, it's another tier four talent. It's non-ranked. It's uh, active, incidental, out of turn. And once per encounter, after another character makes a social skill check, your character may use this talent to make an average vigilance check. If successful, you may add a number of successes or advantages, your choice, equal to your character's ranks in Charm, to other characters' checks. If your character fails, your character suffers three strain. <laughs> um, I don't understand that last bit with the three strain bit, but uh, <laughs> that's well, the well, downside.
1: <laughs> well, no the idea the idea is that you're jumping in on behalf of somebody else, right? All oh, right. So, so you know, somebody. So you, what you got is you got another character makes a social skill check, and mm. because it's an active, incidental, out of turn, it's not mm. your turn. Okay, mm-hmm. and it means it's incidental. It's you jumping in with a quick, witty remark like "ah." Okay, <laughs> and you got to succeed in your vigilance check to get there in time, right? Because it's right. about your responsiveness, your passiveness, your passive yeah. perception of the situation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But at the same time, we've all been in situations where somebody jumps in and tries <laughs> to make that quick, witty remark, but their timing is crap. It's off, and they've just suffered some serious social faux pas as a result Right. Yeah, I so in, in in the aforementioned social combat situation that you talk about right
0: yeah. Th-
1: this is which is really primarily where this would be used mm. okay it, it's it's one of those things that you know it's like yeah if you screw up you just put egg on your face yeah you're gonna suffer three strings <laughs> like because you're a moron who decided to speak up when they shouldn't all right uh, so this is an incredibly situational talent. It's mm-hmm. very intriguing to me because it uses it really it hinges around two skills, vigilance and charm because your charm mm-hmm. ranks matter too,
2: okay? Yeah. yeah.
1: But 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 it's one of those things that for the this is a phenomenal talent for the face character to take right. and reason for them to pump up their vigilance mm-hmm. because when you're in a social encounter as much as I'm sure the the player of the face character would love for it to be all about them, it's mm-hmm. not. Everyone has to and is forced to act. This talent allows you to apply your charm to another character's check, and that's really interesting. So this, yeah, this is this is like this should be a staple talent for a seasoned face character. Mm -hmm. Absolutely,
0: Mm -hmm. very cool. Now that I understand where the three strainers come from, that makes total sense. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. I like it. I like it anyway. Um, So, why is differentiating the two skills and understanding that difference so important? Now, this is a bit of a rhetorical question, I guess, but GMs will frequently ask for perception when they should really be asking for vigilance, you know, when it's a passive situation. Uh, Vigilance is all too commonly relegated to that initiative skill. Uh, but it, its use in social situations, as we've described before, especially when it comes to like deception, it's really underutilized. Uh, and it's a skill that maps to intuition or that sort of that gut feeling that, you know, investigators may have. So, you know, uh, yes, you can say that, well, the reason why they have vigilance is because they're going to get themselves into combat. Well, not necessarily. It could just be the case that, yeah, they've got that, there's something inside them that says that this is wrong call it their spidey sense whatever you want to call it yeah um that it it really is uh, that's what vigilance is ultimately
1: going going back to fellowship of the ring i mean and god now that we're going through this i think frodo's got a lot of ranks in vigilance Mm. um uh and and i mean good lord yeah and and quite frankly Frodo also, God, Frodo's vigilance pool must be off the chain because you know he's got to have a high willpower, right?
0: Right, absolutely.
1: I mean, to, just to resist the Ring for as long as he did, so with a high willpower, and he's got some serious Rings and vigilance too, from what we've seen of him. Yeah, his 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 vigilance pool's got to be off the chain. But like, but I mean, like early on in the film, like like Sam and the Knucklehead twins are gathering mushrooms, and Frodo's just sitting there, and the camera zooms in. He kind of He's kind of like, we should get off the road.
2: <laughs> yes. Do you remember this?
1: Yeah and, <laughs> and, and 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 they're just ignoring him and he's like get off the road. Mm. Like isn't he, he doesn't see anything? Oh. Okay? But it, it's just it's just this shh, uh, get get off the road. Hide quick. <laughs> okay. Um well, I, mean, I mean some of
0: that did come from being a ring bearer as well, but yeah, uh, yeah, okay.
1: well, well that, that's yeah, sure, totally.
0: But mm. I mean uh but ultimately uh, it's it's really about vigilance and maybe that the ring gave some special thing when Talking about ring bearers or something—I don't know—but um, certainly when they did that whole weird camera angle thing, that yeah. it sort of zoomed out but zoomed in at the same time. I'm sure for those people who know all about photography, because I know nothing, that um, there is certainly obviously a technique that that is, but it's brilliant.
1: You have to—you you literally move the camera. In one direction, while z- zooming focusing in the- zooming in the opposite direction, yeah, yeah and, and yeah. it creates that weird that weird thing. But, but I mean, yeah, that, that when, when that camera angle happens, that's, that is literally I could you can hear Frodo's player rolling the vigilance pool at that exact <laughs> point in time, right? He's like, we should get off the road. So, you know, but that, that's the thing. This comes down to a rule of thumb. Another rule of thumb, guys, uh, for the episode. If you're actively searching for something or someone, you use perception. If you're passively or accidentally noticing (laughs) something, use vigilance. The two words I love is searching versus noticing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Those are two Mm -hmm. great, great, you know, words for kind of the same activity, but they have very different connotations. One is active. One is passive. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's really where it comes down to. Mm -hmm. But Let's get into some discussion points here, man. I mean, for both of these skills, what are some of the – I love kind of delving into this stuff. What are some good recommendations we can make around the use of, like, advantage and threat and triumph and despair? What are some interesting ways we can spend some narrative dice results on perception and vigilance checks?
0: Yeah. Well, look, when it comes to uh, advantages and threats, especially when when you're searching for something, you know, the search takes longer or shorter, depending on whether you've rolled threat or um, advantages. So, you know, you're searching a room and time is of the essence because you know that the person's going to be coming back. So, make that make that roll and then suddenly you've got threat. Suddenly there's a knock on the door when you're in the middle of searching this room. You know, that sort of thing is where you can use advantages and the threat really, really well. Yeah. Um, a- another one would be discovering or noticing something that you think is is meaningful, when in actuality it's not. Such as you know, with a failure with multiple threat, or perhaps a despair. So you know, tr- you find that piece of um, you, there's a, a there's a key on the wall, and it looks like it's part of a painting, and it doesn't really make much sense. And you've got to be very, very careful as a GM how you actually say that. Because players being players, you know, you could mention a painting on the wall which shows a mountainscape, and they'll go, oh, oh, where is that place? We need to go there. And it's like, <laughs> no, no, you don't. But okay, sure. But that would be something like a threat that they're wrong. Well, no, no but, but, but
1: you, you see, you put the distinction here, though, like, you never want advantage threat to cancel out a success, right? No, so, no. so this is this is definitely a result when you have failure with with threat or despair. Yep. You know, it's like that thing. It's like it's like it's like, dude, you found a letter. It looks like it might be written in some kind of code, but you can't make it out. I mean, as you're reading it, it just looks like a grocery list, but you think there is <laughs> really something more here. Mm-hmm. And let him, you know, let the player play off that, right? It's <laughs> like. You know, go on about maybe it's my because my, my group like like they they know they failed with threat you know and it's like it's like it's like you found this
2: hmm. you know
1: but you think it's the, like, it's the most important like like it's really important and the play oh yeah yeah I gotta ta- I'm, I'm I'm hanging on to this like this is great all right guys we found it let's go
2: <laughs> like,
1: are you sure man no it's here this is the information we need it's in a cipher somewhere in this grocery <laughs> list I know. <laughs> all
2: right.
1: But, okay, what, what do you do when you don't have that scenario, though, when you succeed mm. but with threat or despair on one of these checks? Because there you don't want to cancel out the success. You want them to find it or notice it, okay? Mm. But how can you apply that similar scenario to threat and despair for that when you succeeded on the role?
0: Mm. So uh, when you've successfully discovered something, but the target notices before you can act, and when it takes off, uh, before they uh, they manage to um, ambush him by water.
1: So, that guy's got a baseball bat under his trench coat, and then Target looks at you and runs. Yes, yes,
0: okay. exactly. Or one of the party members, you know, goes, that's him. Or, or no, the witness that you drag dragged along with you. That's him. <laughs> that's him. Um, <laughs> but So, yeah, that sort of thing is where a threat or or a despair would basically come in quite nicely if you succeeded at something.
1: Yeah. And then of course you can, you know, as as always the case, if you roll advantage on one of these checks, you can always Hmm. apply that to assist other people, whether that's, you know, typically through Bruce dice um, who are attempting the same task, you know, which is, which is intriguing. Um, And, you know, I I love, you know, it's a, it's a standby when when you've got, you know, if you're, if you're not rolling a group check, if you're, if you're doing individual checks, you got one player who's like, Oh, I'll, I'll search the room. Yeah, you didn't find anything, but you rolled three advantage. You know, wow, well, I'm going to give a boost die to Legolas. I'll see what <laughs> his elf eyes can see. Um, I mean, yeah, basically. God, to keep going with this crazy Fellowship of the Ring example, you know, I, I I always assume that, like, you know, they're walking along the walls of Moria on the outside and they're like, we can't find the door. Where's the door? Right. Where's the door? <laughs> yeah. And and Gimli's looking, he's like, hmm, I, I don't know with my dwarven stonecraft, I cannot find it. But he failed with some advantage, he p- gives a boost to Gandalf, and Gandalf's like, ah, well, there's something here, oh, you know, Ithilin, it can only be read by moonlight or starlight, oh, and then, yeah, it shows, that,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he's the story point to have yeah. the uh, the moonlight come out. Yeah,
1: yeah, you're picking, you're picking up, you're picking up what I'm putting down. Yeah, 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 uh, much, ab- much. absolutely. And apparently, the Elvish word for friend is melon. So you know, I, <laughs> I like melons, but I, you know, apparently the elves, mwah, you know, you know, the, the the Noldor are all about that that fruiting those fruiting vines. You know what I'm mm. saying?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The, the, sure. Really, the Silmarils were just you know fancy melons. <laughs> when you get down to it. Galadriel has like a secret garden, you know, just devoted to melon craft, You know that wow. she's been cultivating for like two thousand years.
0: Wow! That's, I didn't know where you were going what... with that sentence. Then oh, you thought you were going to talk about Galadriel's melons? <laughs> was...
1: No, with, uh, we've already discussed this. This is not that kind of podcast. Right? Very good. Excellent. And, and I went, I went from innuendo to you know, just leave it there. You went into like really raunchy stuff, man. I'm, I'm a little shocked, really.
0: I'm a little,
1: I'm a little shocked. I'm a little, you know. Maybe a little aroused. I don't know. <laughs> oh.
0: That's fair enough. Uh,
1: you know what else arouses me? What's that? N- non-standard and non-raw uses for perception and vigilance. Oh,
2: yeah. Good call. Good call. Um,
1: because, because honestly, guys, we, we've we been talking about what the rules has written provide. We've been talking about all these standard uses out there and and how you can implement them. What about the ways you can't? What about what's not in the books? Now, uh, we will often come at you guys when we're going through these skills with suggestions. for what we Maybe you could do this. Maybe you could use it for that. Guys, I hate to say it because it's not the best content in the world, but when it comes to perception and vigilance, don't. There's not a whole, like, like in terms of just rules, uh, there's not a lot of non-raw ways to use either of these two skills. The two skills, as they're written, cover so many eventualities. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not that you need to create more ways to use it. It's that you're just underutilizing them, particularly vigilance. Ooh. Okay? Yep. They cover anything that has to do with using your senses. Anything. Anything that has to do with using your senses. It's going to be this. That's just mm. just straight out. One of those two skills.
0: Mm. Can I just call an audible, though? Okay. When we start talking about non-standard, non-raw uses of perception and vigilance, yes, you're 100% right. There isn't any real way to do it other than what's being mentioned. But the question is how it's done. Because there's having learned a majority of the system from you, Chris, from the Order 66, it always is a case that you should try to get your players to roll as many checks as they possibly can, right? If they want to be hiding from someone, you have them make the uh, the stealth skill using the NPC's perception. Okay, not the other way around. Yes, but as we mentioned earlier, there are some things that go onto armor, for example, that does provide setback die to making a person more easily hidden and so the npc is the one that's making the check there are other talents like that in uh in star wars as well i can think of the performer who does the same sort of thing which means that there are going to be some checks that are done by the gm yeah now some people mention when it comes to using this that it's okay and i don't know whether i subscribe to this and i don't know whether you will either but when it comes to vigilance that you would be making the check for the players or putting the difficulty as the player's perception, and then you would use whatever skill it is or for whatever dice pool
2: uh-huh.
0: and then compare them and I'm torn because it's, it's kind <laughs> <of> like yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like in in d and d where you you might make a role for someone and say "What's your perception?" and you say right it's 15 or whatever and you roll that and then you say well you don't see anything the problem is is that we've and i'm a big believer in you try to put as many dice rolls in the hands of the players but i think that there are some circumstances where if you've got something that is really really well hidden you're kind of giving things away if you say well the difficulty for this check is going to be four red dice and i know that you've spoken about this before on order 66 that rather than have the players make that check, you make the check for the players instead.
1: No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I,
1: I did not say that. I said something close to that. So, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> here's here's the deal. People have Dungeons & Dragons mindset, and 5th edition actually handles it very well because the 5th edition, they, they don't, you don't make roles for players. You just you you run off passive,
2: okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: They have passive perception, so you're, you're good to go there. Okay. Hmm. The reason you don't make a role for a player is because it is the player's responsibility to adjudicate advantage and triumph. Okay. It is their part of the enjoyment of the system. You don't ever want to take that away from them. Okay. There are times, despite the, the advice stands, always try and put the onus on your players whenever possible. Okay, but there's times like when you've got armor quality or something like that, where there's going to be setback die removal, and the player has the talent or the piece of equipment or whatever it is that, in, in, in that that like, or not removal, but but enforces setback dice on someone's check to notice things. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's okay to you. You have the NPC make their roll. Versus the opposed player role because you want that to come into play. Okay. Mm. Some people have recommended that you just invert things like, oh, if it enforces two setback die on perception checks to notice it, well, just have the player make the stealth check and give them two boost die. Mm. You could do that, but there is an inherent problem with that that some people really find unpalatable. Mm. And that is that, you know, this, Huli, the positive and negative dice are not mirrors of each other. Nope. (laughs) They are close, but there is a subtle and small weight given to positive symbols, okay? Um, uh, It's something like 51.3% or something like that. Somebody Mm -hmm. did the math, okay? It's not Mm 50-50. So, as a result, you are actually making the ability a little bit better. Okay, Mm -hmm. now, I'm not saying it's so much better that you shouldn't do it that way. And if you want to do it that way, do it. If it works on your tables, do it, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, the advice I gave you, though, was like, look, if you... If you want your players to try and find something that's been hidden without alerting them, Mm. okay, you invert the role. You know what their perception is. You build a negative dice pool based on that.
2: Mm. You
1: know what the difficulty is is for Mm. finding it, you built a positive dice pool based on that. So you're not making the roll for your player. You're making an opposed roll where you have inverted the dice pool. And then at that point, it comes down to, oh, wow, you noticed something. But even then, that's an unusual situation because then you've got, you know, if you roll advantage or like it, it becomes hard. You you, One of the hard things about the system is that kind of suspension of disbelief, okay, Mm. where Mm. you've got to be able to tell your players, okay, I need you guys to make a never forget the power of a group check either okay mm-hmm. um, it, it, you know it's like it, cuz we're, we're going to throw together a group dice pool for vigilance okay yep. and yep. this is the difficulty why are we making this you're just making it i need you just roll with me on this guys <laughs> and and they'll have all kinds of fun assumptions in their head and and it <laughs> is what it is you know it's just one of the things you got to play with but yep. don't be so afraid of that situation that it comes up so rarely that yeah. you start jacking with the dice mechanics or probabilities there <laughs> or taking the onus away from your players i think yeah. giving the onus to your player is more important than the discomfort of that
0: mm. that's all awesome. yeah. yeah and i think that that comes down to and i know that other podcasts talk about it all the time when we're talking about session zero making sure that your players are aware that there are going to be situations where the players may know something's a miss, but their characters may not be, and to make sure that they're playing along with that, uh, and that's just caused purely by the dice mechanic and the way that the the system works. So that's all that I was calling out on that. Um, so just the way that the the you handle the check in the first place and during actual gameplay. So yeah. yeah, but otherwise they work pretty much as is. <laughs> Simple as that. But as we mentioned earlier, there are already a handful of solid talents that give bonuses. There are unusual usages or extra capability to these skills. But we can add a little bit more, I reckon. <laughs> what yeah. are you
1: <laughs> I love talent creation.
0: It's been ages since we've done this, so it's always fun. So what's yeah. our first one?
1: Okay, I love this one. We call this talent gut feeling. Mm-hmm. It's a tier one. Ranked activation is active, it's an incidental out of turn. Your character may suffer a number of strain to use this talent to add an equal number of successes to vigilance or perception checks they make to notice or discover something hidden. The number may not exceed your character's ranks in gut feeling. Mm. This is essentially a reskin of rapid reaction. Okay. Right But to benefit the spotters in the party, and instead of impacting cool and vigilance when you're making an initiative check, it impacts perception and vigilance when you're making a check to notice something or discover something hidden. okay
2: mm.
1: i I really do do like that. My worry about this, and I really do think it bears play testing, is I mm-hmm. think the extra successes may be too powerful. They're obviously not too powerful when we're talking about initiative, okay? But mm-hmm. in play, ironically, initiative tends to have much less of a impact than a successful perception or vigilance check, especially to notice something mm. hidden. Okay.
2: Right. So mm-hmm.
1: extra successes for, for strain may be a little too powerful. Um, I really do think it bears play testing though. Um, a muted version might provide extra advantage instead of successes. Um, which would be interesting. That's
0: what actually I was thinking. Yeah. If you had advantages instead of successes. Yeah. I think that would make a, a big difference because it's also going to that gut feeling doesn't tell you exactly where it is. Yeah, so yeah, it just, it just um, gives, you,
1: it gives you a little bit of a boost. And if you really yeah. also wanted to keep successes, you could also keep this talent as it is and keep it a ranked talent, but started at tier yeah. 2. Yeah. At tier two, this this becomes a lot less of an issue. Yeah, I mean, because at that point, it's just It's it, it's a lot more expensive to continue to level up. And at that point, mm. yeah, you suffer a strain to get a success. Yeah, and don't forget the strain cost. Strain cost is still there.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That is true. So that is true.
1: Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I like this. This was this was mm. a fun one to to come up with.
0: Yeah, that's very cool. So our second one is, uh, and I love this too. Uh, just the name of it: casing the room. Uh, Being a former investigator, it's always good fun to see these sorts of things. Uh, So uh, it's tier three. It's a passive activation. Uh, It's uh, not ranked. And it says whenever your character makes a vigilance check for initiative, they may choose to instead roll a perception check for initiative. That's pretty cool. Because they suddenly know that, hang on, a that carpet's been disturbed in that location. So there's probably somebody behind it. Look out! So, yeah, I think that makes total sense. I love it. <laughs> it's nice and short and sweet, um, but it's giving sort of, um, them the ability to be able to use their perception as opposed to the vigilance.
1: Yeah. And the idea there was was to do something weird, you know, to yeah. to, to represent yeah. those hyper-observational people that are going to actively case a room the moment they enter it, um, which would be yep. perception, you know, when you're actively doing it.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, it just makes initiative a little bit spicier. spicier. I love skill replacement talents anyway. So,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah allowing
1: yeah. you to use perception for initiative is pretty cool
2: mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: um and then the third talent we've got, and this is an interesting one <laughs> uh, uh <laughs> um, I actually did so so there's there's I, I i'm I'm not gonna call it play testing um, it, it's <laughs> it's not even pre alpha testing. I don't know if you ever do this Hilly, but sometimes when I'm writing something, I will sit down and and i've I've done this before I'll sit down and I'll grab my dice and i'll just I'll just do some mock some 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 mock dice rolls or or more commonly i'll throw together a mock encounter i'll grab some pregens and just i'll take 20 minutes and run through a scene or an encounter with the characters in my head okay Mm. um Mm -hmm. i did that a couple times uh with with this particular talent and kind of shifted it up a bit um which was interesting (laughs) but this talent is called combat awareness Originally, this was going to be an improved version of heightened awareness, and I almost was going to call it like, like like improved awareness or like supreme awareness or whatever. But uh, yep. I, I settled on combat awareness. It is tier three. Heightened awareness obviously is uh, what tier one, tier two. I think yep. activation is an active, incidental, out of turn. It's a non-ranked talent. Your character must have purchased the heightened awareness talent to benefit from this talent. As, mm. a, as I said, that's the prerequisite. So I've said before that like, I, I love heightened awareness. I don't think it gets enough play, right? And yeah. I really wanted to give it kind of an up-level. Once per session, you may spend one story point to grant a number of allies within short range of your character access to the quick-draw talent until the start of your next turn. That number may not exceed your oh. ranks in the Vigilance skill. Oh. Right? So... This was like, I wanted to play off that idea of heightened awareness and upscale that, you know, mm-hmm. granting a special ability to allies idea. And in my, mm-hmm. in my rough pre alpha, whatever nonsense that I did, trying to, and I, I did a few test scenarios here, I played around with adding automatic advantage or automatic success uh, to perception mm-hmm. and vigilance roles instead of just boost, which obviously heightened awareness already does. But it just got too fiddly to manage both the boost dice and the automatic s- symbol that you would get. And then I played around with like, well, maybe just do like an improved version of, of heightened awareness where it's like, yo, people in short range get two boost die. People engage with you get three boost die. And then that got overpowered like fast. Like the results <laughs> right. got way too high. And I was like, well, crud. Okay. <laughs> so this idea came about. A free round <laughs> of quick draw. Okay. That Ooh. is insanely powerful for tier three. Yes. Okay. Yes,
0: it is. <laughs> um
1: so I decided to limit that by two things once per session okay Mm -hmm. and then of course the ultimate limiter which is story point expenditure okay so dude i'm fine with it at tier three because it is once a session and it is story point Mm -hmm. no matter what tier it is it should never be more than once a session that's way too powerful okay
0: yeah absolutely but if you wanted
1: to get rid of the story point thing i would probably bump it to tier five maybe yeah but with with the story point limitation and once per session, dude, yeah, you've you've and, uh, oh yeah, and the other limiter is that you have a prerequisite talent that very few people ever take. Okay,
2: yeah, all right, true. so yeah. so
1: at that yeah. point, yeah, like like yeah, man, bro. I got some ranks and vigilance, and you're I got three <laughs> I got three ranks of vigilance, three all in short range. You all get quick draw. Happy, have, have a nice day. <laughs> you know, and and man. it seemed like a natural progression for heightened awareness, where it's more it's more like yeah. you know instead of hey watch out, you know it's. It's, it's, you know, danger, (laughs) danger, Will Robinson,
2: danger.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Look, I I personally think that it's probably going to be more along the lines of uh, tier four. That's what I think it will be probably play tested coming back to us is a tier four, because it is pretty potent.
1: Yeah. Well, my thinking was it's vigilance. Hmm. Okay.
2: Yeah. So Mm -hmm.
1: like, like, and that's the thing, like if. At the point in time anyone needs quick draw, it's going to be a vigilance-based initiative encounter. They're going to be surprised, which means their attackers yeah. are already going to have their weapons drawn. Okay? Yeah, true. So, true.
2: Yeah. So yeah, cool. that's
1: why I didn't – so it, it wasn't going to – In at least in my little scenarios I went through, my three scenarios, it didn't muck with the action economy.
0: Okay. Mm, so that's yeah. kind of, it's effectively just giving them a, a free yeah, maneuver it's, it's
1: that's basically a free maneuver and when we look at other talents that mm. give free maneuvers and it's a very limited mm-hmm. free maneuver right um yeah, but when yeah, we look at other talents yeah. that give free maneuvers specifically in star wars like they're around that mm. three maybe four range yeah
0: yeah i agree it would be interesting to see what it came back play to play tested by but uh, i think starting it at three good
1: considering limitations very good there we go mm. They're
0: some good talents.
1: Yeah. I like them. <laughs> yeah, this has been a really good talk, but man, Huli, you wanna yeah. you wanna head over and pound some things out, maybe uh, <laughs> under the hammer.
0: That sounds good to me. Under the hammer. And welcome to Under the Hammer, the segment where we answer your games and rules questions about the Genesis Role Playing Game, as it impacts both rules, content creation, and play. And we've got more great list of questions this week. Of course, if you want to get your questions to the top of the queue, like a couple of people tonight, uh, just visit patreon.com forward slash ForgeGenesis and become a Tier 2 Patreon supporter today. All right, Chris, let's create some controversy and let's bring us the first question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Boy, this has been a, a a poo storm online, that's for sure. Melody um, uh, seymour via facebook uh, posted this i think i saw it, i first saw it in the genesis rpg community um mm. but uh hi guys a uh, question on the prepare item quality description states that items with this quality require a number of maneuvers to be performed before the weapon could be used this is clear for things like heavy machine guns but in realms of Terranoth, crossbows also have prepare one in my opinion devs intention was to require a reload before each shot but to be honest i'm not sure anymore What do you think?
3: (laughs) Well, the rules is
1: written. They're clear. And the intent, I think, is muddled. And it gets even more muddled when you start looking at some of the Terranoth weapons specifically in terms of crossbows, because some of them make absolutely no sense. But,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I mean... I can go in on this, man, unless you want to weigh in first.
0: (laughs) Well, I'll start us off so that you know everybody's on the same page. So on page 88, it talks about the prepare quality, and it says items with this quality require time to set up before being used. The user must perform a number of preparation manoeuvres equal to the item's prepare rating before using the item. In brackets, if the item is a weapon, using it... Uh, would, uh, using it would be making attacks with the weapon. At your GM's discretion, moving with the item, being knocked prone with the item, or other disruptions may require the user to perform the preparation maneuvers again before using the item. And this is what creates the confusion. Um, that uh, And Star Wars is to blame partially, uh, and that's because of the e so, when the E-Web was, uh, it's got the prepare quality. Uh, so, you spend the uh, prepare whatever, how many maneuvers it is to set it up in the first place, and then you just fire it off and it goes without without a hitch, basically. But when it comes to crossbows, you've got to rack your crossbow if it's just got one shot, or if it's got two, you might be able to have you know a couple of shots first. But generally speaking, a crossbow is going to have one shot and you pull it back. It's only when you start talking about the repeating crossbow where it says that it has multiple shots, mainly because it has linked, you start running into the process of, do I spend manoeuvres just to set it up um, and then I can fire it at will? Or do I spend the manoeuvres just um, to start one shot Then I spend another manoeuvre to do another shot. Then I spend another manoeuvre to do another shot. Now, when you start talking about reloads, that's when you start talking about limited ammo. And you've really got to take a look—a brief look at that when it comes to limited ammo. And uh, it's also on page 88, so you don't have to go very far to look. Some weapons fire particularly large or complex projectiles that cost uh, a lot of money. Now, they've kind of changed things up when it comes to revolvers and and um, things like that but limited ammo realistically is a little bit more complicated Um, limited ammo doesn't apply to bows Um, it uh, it only applies to more mechanical things Um, so when you've got like bows um, they you achieve them with no problem at all when you've got um, a crossbow it seems to be the problem where it has this prepare one or prepare two, depending on which one it is, that creates the biggest problem. My opinion is that it's going to be completely determined by the text at the end that describes the particular item. Some weapons are going to have the prepare quality and it's going to be like the heavy repeating blaster from Star Wars with the eweb that it spent when you set it all up and then you can keep on shooting until you have to move it again and then you have to pack it all up. Uh, but with the crossbow, and it specifically, it doesn't seem to mention it in Realms of Terranoth, but it certainly mentions it um, in uh, the Game Master's tool section when it talks about, um, uh, in, in Core Rules, when it talks about, sorry, under the settings, when it talks about um, under the fantasy setting, uh, we we look at the specific gear. Uh, and that gives a really good description of the, um, of the crossbow, which it states, if I can find it again. Um, so it is on page 145, uh, and there's a nice little sidebar uh, just above it, which basically talks about how much ammunition. So the crossbow says, uh, and it's really the last sentence that applies, the downside of a crossbow is the additional time it takes to ready it for firing versus simply knocking an arrow, hence the prepare quality. Okay? So in my opinion, the difference on how these different weapon uh, qualities or item qualities are going to apply is going to be dependent on how it's written up in the text. And I think that's something which is really important when you're designing the text in the first place. But Chris doesn't agree with me looking at him right <coughs> now. Well, well,
1: like what you just read, that doesn't mean before each shot. It could just mean re- reread it, reread that last sentence again, reread it again.
0: The downside of a crossbow is the additional time it takes to ready it for firing versus simply knocking an arrow.
1: Yeah, to ready it for fi- for firing. That doesn't mean every time. It could just mean to begin with.
0: So when we talk about knocking an arrow, we're talking about a bow. Yeah, we're not talking about we're talking about bolts if we're talking yeah. about yeah, sure, sure.
1: So so here's the deal. Like like you say, look, rules is written. Prepare only applies for the initial use of the weapon. Okay, per GM's discretion, though, the instant it's moved, you have to set it up again. All right, right. So <clears throat> I I have made this mistake. I have. I mean, for Pete's sake, just recently I made this mistake. Actually, I applied the prepare, cro- uh applied the prepare quality to um, a sniper rifle, a breech loading sniper rifle that I gave to a, a PC, and they used it live on the air uh, on me and Steve, and I ran it to where it took a maneuver to prepare because that's what made sense to me. Okay, and then um, uh, that, that's how I, that's how I took it. But you know, if you, if you get into this though, that's not the that's not the rules is written. The rules is written is that it just applies before you start using the weapon. Now. Having said that, the instant you move with the weapon, the GM mm-hmm. is well within their rights to say, you need to prepare again. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. So mm-hmm. if you're going to stand there and continue to shoot your crossbow, okay. Okay. That's fine. Okay. But but it, it, it's, it's there. Now, the fact that you have to prepare a crossbow makes a lot of sense. Okay. It obviously takes, it takes active, you know, action to load it. All right. Now, the counter argument to that is like, yeah, but this is a narrative system. So when you fire it, it it's 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 lengthy time. You're firing it, but also knocking in, jacking it in the next round, getting it ready to be to be loaded again, okay? And you know, the the when you take it something like a repeating crossbow, mm. like it totally breaks down if you take the the non raw approach, which is that you have to spend maneuvers before each shot, okay? Because I mean two maneuvers to to jack in a repeating crossbow with prepare two. like
0: why would you why would you use it why ever? would
1: you ever use it just so you can pull off linked i mean come on like there's there's there's, okay. there's it, it makes it makes it makes the weapon absolutely worthless so that 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 lends hmm. more credence to the idea of of you know it's a one-time thing to prepare it however if you move you're going to jostle the mechanism okay and you may have to reset everything okay the gm's totally within yeah. their right or if it gets knocked down oh god i mean god yeah throw do, do me a favor get a crossbow knock it and just drop it on the ground see what happens okay <laughs> you're gonna have to reset the whole dang thing okay you're gonna have it's, yeah. it's gonna happen okay and then people say, "Well, then, what the heck is the point of a bow? Why would I ever like get a bow if I just have to spend one maneuver at the start of combat? Why would I? What wouldn't I always use a crossbow? Those are some of the other comments flying around. Well, the answer is because a bow is less than half the cost of a basic crossbow. Okay, yes, a crossbow has the same damage, a better crit rating. Okay, the same range, um, but its 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 encumbrance is higher. Okay, its rarity is. Double. I mean, I'm looking at like just a regular crossbow versus a bow. Okay, mm. it's got it's it, the rarity's doubled, and the price it goes from two seventy five for a bow to six hundred for a crossbow. Yes, crossbows mm. are inherently better than bow. There, there's a reason crossbows were adopted by militaries around the, okay over <laughs> over the English longbow. Okay, because no. yeah. I mean there, there's where there's many reasons, but that was one of the reasons. Okay, that's that's the reason why. Okay, and then you mm. get into stuff mm. like like you know heavy crossbows which are basically I mean those are siege weaponry I mean it's like they got 8 damage but they're like a grand they've pierced 3 okay
2: Mm.
1: I mean Mm. yeah it's insane but you're not going to be lugging one around the reason you're going to get a bow is because you never have to set it up you never have to reset it It, it, it's not going to come undone when you drop it on the ground or when you move you can be a running archer with it and it only Mm. costs 275 that's why you would use a bow Mm. um Mm. You know, and furthermore, like I'm sorry, a lot of these comments seem to come also from people who don't play that much. I hate to say that, and I'm sorry. And if I'm directing my anger at you, and you're, and it's not anger if I'm directing my comment at you, and you're like, "Screw you, dude!" I play all the time. Okay, you're you're probably right. What I'm trying to say is, Huli, how long does the average combat last in this system?
0: Three, maybe four rounds. Yeah,
1: but typically three. Okay. When you have an action economy like that, Mm. think about what happens in the first round of combat. How critical is that? How much damage is dealt? Okay. (laughs) What do you do when you're surprised? What do you do? I mean, I mean, I mean, that's, that's the thing. Okay. And when, if you consider that 50% or more of your combats are going to use vigilance and you're going to be surprised, you're not going to have your weapon at the ready. Most likely sacrificing that maneuver or two to prepare the weapon is detrimental compared to a yep. bow okay mm. so mm. that's the thing that's the mm. thing so i mean yeah i'm 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 not seeing all the hate i, I, I don't <laughs> know
0: <laughs> well one of the things that somebody suggested and and you know i, I know that uh, sam's not a big lover of uh creating more uh item quality yeah. But somebody suggested uh, the creation of an item quality called Reload. Yeah. Um, which is an interesting way of doing it and certainly solves part of the problem, uh, that uh, it just takes a maneuver to to reload the weapon. Um, and, I mean, it does explain how people can run around on horseback with a crossbow. Yeah. And we see yeah. that in a couple of films. Um, so, you know, that, that is possible. Um, and I, I guess I'm not against creating brand new item qualities but i always try to work within the rules does creating a brand new one what sort of flow on effects will that have
1: i mean look man regardless of the raw which i just explained and mm, why it is structured the way it is mm, i will probably continue to run this quality as nah it costs you a maneuver each time you fire it Okay. Yeah. I mean, because the yeah. the only the only time that that's a well crap that means I would never use this weapon. The only time that applies is to the repeating crossbow and tear not. At that point, it's not worth the bang for the buck. Okay. It's yep. just not not for linked. But I'm sorry for other crossbows where you're going to get pierced. Hell yeah, it's worth the bang for the buck.
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: I, yeah. It's like yeah. I'm sorry. You don't get to take that extra maneuver to aim. You got to spend it to reload. But you're going to get pierced and an extra point of damage. You know potentially, yeah. right? Yep. So on top of that. So I I still think it's worth it. And I know the Raw doesn't say that, support it, but I have found my game experiences to be better using it that way.
0: True. So, Yep. That makes total sense. Yeah. So I don't know whether that answers the question, (laughs) but I think it does. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So our next question. Oh, thanks very much, by the way, uh, Melody. I really appreciate it. I hope I haven't butchered your name in usual fashion. I probably have. Melody, Melody. Anyway, moving along. So, uh, FLEMO, that's an easier one to say, uh, asks via our Patreon Discord, I know this isn't strictly mechanics or rules topic. I'd love to hear what you can do as a GM to facilitate and encourage more dynamic and creative roleplay from players and myself. Personally, when some good RP is happening at the table and the players are into it, I will often let the scene play out longer than I have intended, Sometimes this means a session may not finish all the plot or encounters I may have prepared for. Often these scenes lead to good character exploration and party growth. Any suggestions would be awesome. Can I answer this really quickly? Oh, yeah. He is doing it the right way. Yeah. Story comes first. Yeah. And if if everybody at the table is having fun, if uh, everybody is getting into their characters, and it's creating good character exploration with party growth. You're not doing anything wrong at all. In fact, you're a good GM. Simple.
1: Yeah, no. Uh, you said uh, that was the first thing I was going to say, man. It's like it's like wh- how can you encourage active role playing? Number one thing, you, I have several suggestions. The number one thing you can do is this thing you're already doing, which is to throw your preconceived notions around. Well, we've got to get through this much during the session, or I mean, dude, mm-hmm. dude, like. If people have to go, make some notations. You can stop in the middle of an encounter. Who cares? You know what's up. Like, don't change your <laughs> sheets. I'll take a picture of the map if we have one. Okay, like, and just we'll continue. We'll continue next time. That nothing's more like if they're having fun and exploring their characters and really getting into it. Don't stop them. <laughs> the only time you'd ever want to stop them is if it's getting really off track. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, that never well, there's that there's no, never no, happens no, at the role playing no. table.
0: Um, <laughs> that ne- that no, 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 never no, ever no. happens.
1: Um, my number <laughs> my number two suggestion as a GM to foster this would be to ask questions, um, mm. question the characters, question the players in terms of their characters. I mean, all the time, all the time. Ask questions. Um, one of the things I love to do for for campaigns um, <clears throat> in um i've got a lot more experience doing it for star wars but star wars didn't have motivations it had it had you know several other systems but like when i was playing star wars i would have i would i would have a little uh sticky note that would have all the characters names on it and i would have written next to it what either what their obligation was or and and also their you know their their motivation right the the single motivation right um so the motivation and then obligation or you know duty or you know what whatever it was that they have to have for their character right yeah. And then with Genesis, write their four motivations out, right? Just write it right up next to the character name, So you've got that handy. Work that and ask questions. If, and this is the other thing too, is you can bring other, like if two, if two, two players in your party of four are going at it and having this great role-playing moment, turn to the quiet one and be like, what does your character think about all this? Like, what is your, mm. what is your, what is your character doing right now? What does your character think about all this? And you're not being rude to the other people that are having fun either. You're actively bringing somebody in, and even the people that are off in their own world, they'll typically recognize that too. Okay, yeah, and it, yeah. it's—I mean, it's a—it's a common test. Like, it's like, well, how does your character feel about this? It's like, well, they're talking about slavery, man. What? How, and you're looking at the character's, you know, motivations. It's like, how, you know, who has has a problem with slavery or something like that? It's like, well, how how does your character feel about this discussion, man? And and like, like, bring it, bring it in. Ask questions. It's the best thing you can do is ask questions, man. Yeah. absolutely yeah. um uh the other thing that and my, my third suggestion is motivation is all in the system is so often forgotten um in terms of, of character role-playing sadly uh yeah. force the issue um i i i used to who have heard you've heard of the questions three Yep. Um, which I don't. I don't typically have to ask for Genesis because the motivations kind of handle most of the details. But the we used to do this back in the Dungeons and Dragons days for Third Edition, where you you uh, and I did it in Star Wars Saga as well, where you would uh, you ask questions three of your players. as part of Session Zero. It's number one. What does your character love? Okay, capital L. Even the most despicable, evil, heartless, horrible character has something somewhere mm-hmm. they care about and would. Risk their life to protect. Okay. Yep. What is it? And question two, what do they hate with a capital H? Even the most virtuous paladin has something, some or someone out there that they would go out of their way to irrationally harm if given the opportunity. All right. Mm-hmm. What is that? And then question mm-hmm. three was like, you know, why are you here? Why are you adventuring with the group? Stuff like that. But you yep. let's say, like, the point is, like, you bring those questions to the forefront. If you're not getting active engagement, I mean, one of the best ways to do that is to challenge the players with scenarios that butt up against their motivations or, you know, or, or questions three or whatever it is. You know what I mean? If they have a problem with something, mm-hmm. you throw that something in their face. Okay. You make them mm-hmm. deal with it. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, when that doesn't. So that's, that was my last one. I, do, I guess I do have a fourth or I guess it's kind of a three A maybe or three B. Right. Mm-hmm. I have had situations. Dave, where <laughs> where despite those tactics, the asking questions and throwing things about them, at least according to their backstory that they are supposed to care about, I don't get the engagement I want. Okay. They're just still mom or like, I don't know, or whatever. Or things like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, uh, uh or uh, let me insert something snarky to show you all how clever I am. All right. Without actually playing the game. <laughs> um, right. right. I've had those situations come up. It takes a bit of work, but at that point you bring a scenario in that doesn't challenge the character. It challenges the player. Mm. Um, it's tricky and it's hard to do. And I, I hate discussing it on the podcast because of these, these are, these are very sensitive topics. You need to do it with a mature group, but yeah, sure. um, like it, let's, let's say you have a, a player who you're not getting the engagement you want from them and mm. you know them very well. And that player is an incredibly dedicated father who Mm -hmm. volunteers uh, and is on the executive board of a uh, major national organization based in Dallas that exists solely to help abused children. Um,
2: Mm.
1: (coughs) uh, (laughs) uh, You can do what I did in one of my campaigns, which is you throw a child into the mix and you put that child in physical danger and you mm-hmm. put that child in a a rough abusive situation and you watch mm-hmm. that player spring into you watch that player's character spring into action the whole party for that matter oh dude i mean <laughs> holy cow yeah you you mean but there's these there's these situations that you can deal with and these are these are very mature concepts sometimes it depends on your group but if you mm-hmm. if you deal with situations yep. like child endangerment especially my god you will mm-hmm. engage players not characters players players will come mm-hmm. to like holy crap we have to do something about this because they're good people and you should do something about that. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) child endangerment abuse is another one, a very sad one. Um, Mm. you can deal with, um, people often think of of the topic of slavery, which I bring it up because it's so common in fantasy settings and in star wars as an evil that exists. Okay. Mm, Um, But we still think about it as this, this part of like Western history though, we've overcome a long time ago. Like, I'm sorry on planet earth today in the 21st century, there is a crap ton of slavery in existence. Okay. A ton of human trafficking and slave labor that is happening all over the world. Okay. It is a major problem that people forget about. And you know, you can bring like, like, find these issues that your player is going to be, I hate to say it, triggered by, okay?
2: Mm. And
1: if nothing else works, you can bring an uncomfortable scenario like that into the game to engage the player, and then you will see the character become engaged at that point.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think the only thing to to say is a caveat to that. There's many caveats to that,
2: but please, yes.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely, but probably the main one, and I know that there's been heaps of podcasts done um, on it, and I know that um, uh, I know we talk about them a little bit mainly because we've been having a lot to do with them lately. Um, but uh, the Steve's talked about it yeah. where you have like your red card, yeah, uh, where if there's an issue, then and you normally would do that before um, you yeah. even start this playing session zero, it's out, yeah, yeah, what people's triggers yeah. are going to be. And there are some people that may have received, been on the, the other end of some of those things. Physically yeah. in real life, God, yeah. and God, you yeah. never ever touch that because you've you've raised that um, as an issue uh, just through you know a questionnaire at the start, and there's plenty of, of good ones yeah. out there that you yeah. can give to all of your players to say what things are you comfortable talking about and doing in a session, um, and uh, you know so providing you're not crossing over that line because there can be some horrible horrible experiences. That oh, yeah. you can.
1: And I, I I'm, so, the, I'm so I'm so I'm so glad you bring I'm so glad you bring that up. When I use the word I regret it now, but I use the word trigger, trigger with a lowercase T, not a capital T. Okay. Yeah, it's like it's I'm like sure. there there's people that are personally emotionally triggered by things. You never want to bring that up. never wanna go there. No. Hopefully you know your game group well enough to be able to understand what those things are. And if not, you have a lot yeah. of topics that you you should be getting out of session zero and of course have yeah. the red card mentality like steve and steve talked about where where, where yeah. it's like look you know you need to give your players the freedom whether it's something physical or just verbal to be able to say look i'm not comfortable with this okay and you've got to mm-hmm. respect that so what what i'm referring to though are those things that you can and i was giving you some pretty extreme examples okay but yeah but you, you can absolutely. but the point is finding something that will engage at an emotional level the player Okay. Without mm. again, you you don't want to cross that line. It's it's very tricky. And God, maybe you never need to go that route, man. F- oh. FLEMO, FLEMO, oh With God. luck, you can just use the first three things we talked about and just get that engagement. And have, everyone has some fun, right?
0: But mm, absolutely. But you know, and I mean, yeah. sometimes it, it it may be a case that you just have to remind players that oh, remember that um, motivation that your character has—that their fear is of flying. Yeah well, this mission has got you going to this particular place and you're going to be in an airplane. Uh, So you suddenly, they're having to have, they're having to have to think about how their character would react to that. And that can be just as simple as a small scene of them, you know, complaining about, you know, I don't want to fly in this thing. Or probably a really good example would be uh, when Kirk and Spock meet for the first time on the shuttle in the revamped version of Star Trek where, you know, he's talking about, um, you know, everybody on this plane doesn't realize that as soon as, you know, we get out into outer space that will boil in, our blood will boil in 13 seconds, blah, 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 because he understands the the, the science behind uh, how it's going to affect a person uh, physically yeah. um, and that's what's given him this fear. So those sorts of things can just drag somebody into into the play, and then therefore they might be reacting to somebody else, another player or whatever else that then makes it a little bit more fun for everybody at the table and they feel more engaged. So that's just another way to to do it as well. So and using what Chris is saying basically about um, you know fears and and loves and, and things like that from I mean that's why Genesis has given us those four characteristics. And they need to be used more often, and if you're not using them, you need to be find ways to do that. have them as a reminder, as Chris said before, have it in front of you with the character's name, the player underneath that, and then list each one of their fears and um i can't I can never remember the the four of them um so uh you know their loves and fears, and I can't remember the other two anyway that's all right
1: uh, <laughs> <Your> <laughs> it's late. strength desire um.
0: That's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, take a look at those. All right, now right, last question, Chris. What are we got? Oh, to?
1: this is another doozy, man. Uh, Captain Smitty uh, comes in via Discord. In terms <laughs> of item creation, how would you go about determining the price of wound or strain cost? For example, Ooh. a weapon causes the user to suffer one strain every time they use it. Woof, dude. Uh, <laughs> should that just be minus 100 suggested for negative qualities on the table on page 199 of the core rulebook? book? How about running out of ammo on three threat or jamming with two threat? I- I'm less interested in the hard number you come up with for those things, but more the thought process behind your answer. Uh, similar to the theory of GM Chris's kaboom conundrum. Um, essentially, how do you determine the price impact of negative items, uh, negative effects that are not item qualities? Thanks. And I always listen. <laughs> um, well. Um, First of all, I would be amazed to see the justification for a weapon that causes you to suffer wounds or strain by mere using it. That's like, Mm -hmm. it's like, what's the cost? Free! (laughs) Free! (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, I mean, that, that certainly sounds like a, a, some sort of a cursed weapon or something like that. But certainly if it's a weapon uh, that, I mean, I'm sure that we've seen shows oh, where yeah, I know, I know, a, I know. a weapon, I think it's, it takes <laughs> a part of your blood and it fuels the demon that lives within the blade or whatever else. But it's it sounds like a one-off item. Um, but uh, if that's, hey, if that's your thing and it might be part of your setting, good for you. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I've never seen anything like that. I don't know whether there is as far as in the game goes. Um, but, um, wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I, I can give my, Ooh, I can give my cool. advice on
1: this, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Go. go. Okay.
1: So if you're looking for the thought process, Smitty, um, here's how I tend to think about it. Okay. When we talk about a negative item quality, especially on a weapon, um, or a special ability. Okay there's barometers of 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 what constitutes that price okay of 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 negative well and and i you know what i'm actually going to i'm actually going to take a look because the, the table itself that is that as as smitty actually said um uh is on page 199 of the core rule book um and that is mm-hmm. for 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 people following along in their storybooks at home that is table uh 3.1-2 weapon cost calculations. Okay. Um, it, it, it basically gives a listing of minus 75 to the cost per rank of the negative quality. Um, uh, if it's ranked obviously, um, or, or if it's non-ranked minus 100, basically that minus 75 is, is or, or rank is what I would use for, for very basic, simple stuff. Okay. So things like inaccurate. Okay. Which, which you you, you can rank up, um, along the same power level of minus one setback die, okay? Mm. Minus, uh, like, or not minus, but, but adding a setback die. Adding a setback die, giving you an auto threat, okay, on a roll, kind of in the same wheelhouse there, you know, minus 75 is usually where, where I go. When you get more than that, more concrete than that, it's when you want to start to get to the 100 range, okay? So running out of ammo on, on three threat, or two threat, I should say, on a jam, that's in the like 100 range for me in terms of minus because the situation is to come up fairly often. What you have to think no. about is how is how is, it's, it's almost the inverse of what we talked about with soak and defense. It's about reliability versus versatility. That's really what it comes down to. OK, mm. if something is going to be a negative quality that is reliable, meaning it's going to happen frequently all the time. Okay, it's It's going to impact. And what I mean, is not like, like, hey, you're going to roll a setback tie every time you roll this. That's not reliability. It's not because you may roll a blank. Okay, okay. Uh, You may roll a filler, you may roll a threat. It's not reliability. Okay, reliability is like, look, you're going to suffer a negative every single time this happens. Okay, that should typically be slightly higher costed, obviously, than things that are going to happen every so often. Okay. Um, if you had a, a special ability that had you run out of ammo on three threat, dude, I would probably cost that at fifty to seventy five. It's not a minus fifty to minus seventy five. It's not that big of a deal. If you had a deal while you're jamming or running or like like jamming is worse than threat, because it's worse than running out of ammo because you can fix running out of ammo pretty darn easily. Jamming, you need a workbench and <laughs> some time. Okay. Yeah. But but if it was like running out of ammo on two threat, dude, that's that's gonna happen frequently. Like Two mm. like three threat, three threat. You've played three threat doesn't happen that often, but two threat happens mm. all the time. Okay, so for that, that would be like a hundred for me. Maybe even a yeah. little more. Maybe minus one twenty five. Mm. Okay, that's mm. kind of how I, how I think about it and cost it out is is like what's the frequency of of the event happening that's going to trigger the negative condition. Okay, mm. if so, mm. if you said you know yeah, man, you're going to suffer strain every time you use this <laughs> weapon. Every single time you're going to suffer a strain if you're using this weapon, pshew, uh, dude, that's going to be minus 100, maybe minus 150. If you tell me you're going to suffer a wound, it's going to be like minus 150, easy, okay? Mm, I, yeah. I, I mean, just, just, just straight out, okay? But it, it it comes down to how and also how dastardly it is. Like we talked about earlier, with um, uh, you know, if if it's something, like, oh, you ran out of ammunition. Well, I can fix that with a maneuver. And assuming I have the extra reload, which I hopefully would. Okay. But the point is I can fix that problem with a maneuver with a jam. I mean, the weapons like it's jammed. I mean, I got to, I, I got I to gotta take it to a workbench. I got to fix it. Okay. It, it's it's broken. I mean, that should be much more heavily costed. So it's an issue of reliability of the effect, but also the impact of the effect. You've got to kind of marry those two together. And I never recommend that you have a rely, like, it's like, again, it's like the defense versus soak, you rarely, if ever want to have high defense and high soak on a piece of armor, right? And inversely, Mm -hmm. you rarely, if ever want to have high reliability and high impact on negative quality for an item. I mean, hardly ever. That should be the major exception to the rule, which is also why I dislike, I I have such a guttural dislike, I think, of the auto strain or auto wound cost when you use it, because that literally is Mm. the epitome of high reliability and high impact joined together. Yeah. Okay. Mm. You know, I I love the idea of like, look, you roll two threat and you're just going to like, well, you're just going to, well, threat can suffer strain anyway, so that's not necessarily a good one. But like you roll two threat, you're going to suffer a wound. Like, like the weapon's mm. going to take from you, okay? Yeah. Like mm. that's really that's really well costed. That would be like a good minus one hundred right there, okay? Um, <laughs> mm. Where it's not again, you don't have consistent reliability, but you still have high impact.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. What would you do in a circumstance like that if you choose and you give the player the choice or uh, from this particular item that if it costs, say, a wound? And then you might say uh, that, and this is totally off the top of my head, so I have no idea whether it would even pass muster. But if you were then say, well, if you roll a triumph and you've spent this wound or two wounds or whatever, if you roll a triumph, the demon within inside the blade gives you uh, doubles the number of triumphs that you have.
1: Oh, oh, you mean, oh, you mean like, oh, oh, so like, so you're going to suffer wounds, but if you roll triumph, you basically get an exploded triumph, basically.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I think the idea of getting an extra triumph like that is redonkulously overpowered broken. Like, I, I can't even tell yeah. you. Um, sure. I would never allow that in my game. Um, but mm. the idea of having a positive quality that somehow offsets the negative quality, mm. don't make it too complicated. Yeah. Okay. Sure. There needs to be a reason that you'd be willing to use a weapon that's going to do harm to you. All right. Mm and that should probably be a result of the weapon stats which is again it's not a positive special quality it's just a positive attribute of the weapon it's like why would yeah. i use a sword that deals a wound to me every single time i use it because it has a exactly. base damage of plus 6 okay yes oh right. okay that's why yeah. but again you got to think you got to think about why you're adding negative qualities Mm. You're adding mm. negative qualities to bring cost down. I mean, you're going to want to repeat your vision, right? And have your vision of it. Yep. But ideally, you're going to bring the cost down for something that is has damage or crit that is mm. going to bring its cost much higher than it normally would be.
0: Yeah. And what these sorts of weapons that do these crazy sort of stuff that we're talking about is not the sort of thing that, you know, as I mentioned before, you wouldn't buy at Walmart. No. You know, it's the sort of thing that would be the final conclusion to an adventure and as a result, because it's stealing wounds or whatever else, you'd be trying to destroy it. But you might have to use it against the BBEG at the end of the game. Um but or the end of the adventure, but then you have to go and destroy it and stuff like that. Because it's just over the top powered. Now, Hmm.
1: now, over the top overpowered positives Mm -hmm. and over-the-top detrimental negatives Mm -hmm. can always be mitigated as Once per session, or Mm -hmm. or story point driven, especially with positives. Okay, that's another great way to to get around those things. Additionally, they can also be heavily mitigated by extreme dice rolls. So, for example, okay, let's say you have a blade that has the potential to injure its wearer. Okay, right. I don't want to. I don't want to say, look, you're going to take a wound every time you use this weapon. It's just way too much for me. Okay, mm. it's got high damage. It's got a better crit than normal, but I, I I need to I need to bring that down with some risk. Okay, because of the demon trapped in the blade. To continue the example. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. So, it's got a negative quality called blood drain, and right. the GM can spend two threat to inflict a wound that bypasses mm-hmm. soak on the wear of the weapon. Mm-hmm. The GM can spend a despair to inflict a critical injury. Mm. Okay. One thing you got to keep in mind when you're trying to create these uh, these special effects and balance them, and we've hinted at this earlier, and this comes into costing, man, and keeping costing balanced too. Be mm. creative, but don't create new crap. Use the existing mm. mechanics. Like, yep. like, use them. And anytime you can go back to having advantage or threat or triumph or despair, determine mm. how the mechanic plays out, it's marvelous. Is just mm. marvelous because then you open <laughs> yourself up to so much more. Like, yep. I, I mean, you, you just open yourself up to so, 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 so much more. I'm an absolute fan of that. I, um, another thing I, I think is underused as a, as an ability. Um, I did this for my Harry Potter setting, Huli, uh, which you mm-hmm. guys can download at d20radio.com in the backer Zone section <laughs> for free. Um, yeah, I, I did this in my Harry Potter setting where, um, when it came to wands, uh, and we, we talked about this a little bit when we talked about implements, um, yeah, but, but yeah. when I did, when I, when I came up with wands uh, to represent it, I, I, the, the player, when they get their wand, the wand would have two aspects to it. It would have the wood and it would have the core. Okay, and, you know, and there's like 37 woods in Harry Potter. I didn't want to start out 37. So I I came up with generic wood types that multiple woods would fall into that grouping, like adventurous or, you know, cunning or, you know, whatever it was like that. And they would Mm -hmm. provide static benefits. And for the cores, again, there's like a billion cores, but I I, I turned it into three types. The cores gave you very specific abilities that allowed you to once per session muck with the dice results but it was always done in a way to where it wouldn't be overpowered and disrupting one of my personal favorites is that you could turn um god now i'm trying to remember one of them was that once per session you could ignore two threat right okay and that that's that's very cool but even then you're ignoring two threat it's not a huge boost okay but mm-hmm. it's it, it's it's very powerful um, you had another one that would allow you. Oh yeah, this is the one. This this was crazy. You could convert success into advantage. Two 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 success into two advantage, which mm-hmm. for spellcasting, especially, really could allow you to pull off some interesting stuff. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: but again, once per session. But there's lots of, especially in Star Wars. There's there's lots of talents for for uh, uh, people like the charlatan, um, the gambler, the performer. Um that mm. allow you to muck with the dice results and do substitutions. Um right. I'm a huge yeah. I, I I think it's an underutilized mechanic. They haven't even started to explore it in Genesis yet. But I, no. I think it's yeah. a, a heavily underutilized mechanic.
0: Mm. You're talking about like the ones where you can actually change a face of a dice yeah. to another yeah. one. Yeah. Or or, 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 su-
1: or substitute <laughs> symbols for another. So the third wand core yeah. I had, which was people loved it, but it was it was crazy. Uh, it allowed you again once once per session. You could take up to two rolled failures on a check and mm. turn them into mm. threats. Right. So it means yeah, you're going to succeed at a cost. Mm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so Slytherin. It's not funny.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and 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 th- those were I, I believe those were actually used for the cores that were commonly associated with like dark wielders, basically. Yeah. So yeah. so yeah. I mean, yeah, but that that's kind of the thing. So I mean. I don't know. That was a huge rambling, nonsensical rant of thought process. I hope that helped you somewhat, Smitty.
0: (laughs) Very good. That was excellent. Um, And look, send us some more questions. We we love getting them and uh, answering them here on the show. Just send us uh, an email and we'll talk about that very shortly. So, Chris, does that bring us to the end of another show?
1: I think it does. (laughs) I think it does.
0: But you know we'll be back with a new episode in short order as we get back into our regular schedule. Uh, but uh, be sure to stay tuned for our upcoming micro episodes in Fuel for the Foundry for highlights on the new products that are uh, out there for you all to pick up from Drive Through RPG, and uh, we'll also be continuing with more equipment creation topics and other requested things. But Chris, we also want to know what other cool show topics everybody wants us to cover right
1: well we certainly do want to know that so if you have questions on anything or ideas or requests for any show topics or mechanics you'd like us to dive into let us know hooli how Mm. how can they let us know
0: by using mithril no um They can uh, email us at Genesis at d20radio.com or post it up via one of our many social media platforms where we have a dedicated post calling for questions, including Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and um, look, any number of forums where we're pretty much, if there's social media, we're out there. Just search for Forge Genesis. Uh, Now, I've also been seeing some great conversations on the D20 Radio Discord channel And, of course, truly dedicated conversations uh, with our Patreons on our very own podcast Discord server.
1: And we'd love to hear from you all. Don't forget that you can also join the even larger discussion in the D20 Radio Facebook group where we nerds congregate to cross-pollinate, as well as the D20 Radio Discord, as we said. And don't forget to give us a like or a follow on uh, on any of our social media sites. Uh, You can also drop us a review on those sites or on your favorite podcatcher, including iTunes, Spotify, and more. Um, You can also visit us on our website at ForgeGenesis.com.
0: Indeed they can. Well, that's a wrap for us. Thank you all for listening. uh, And uh, we're so happy to be back. And uh, we hope that you will join us next time as we continue to explore the Genesis role-playing game. I'm GM Hooley. May our triumphs be many and your despairs be few. And I'm GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. Thanks again for joining us. And remember, The Forge Podcast, helping you hone... Your gaming edge. The Forge at Genesis podcast is a proud member of the D20 Radio Network. For more information about the network, visit www.d20radio.com. The Forge is a fan-generated podcast. All the information provided on the podcast, the social media, and related website is not affiliated with Fantasy Flight Games or any of their sources. The content of this podcast remains the property of the Forge at Genesis RPG podcast and is intended for educational and informational purposes only. The Genesis Cop 1 game, Genesis logo, Genesis Foundry content, and all material remain the property of Fantasy Flight Games. All products available on the Genesis Foundry website remain the property of their respective companies and individuals. For more information about the Forge Genesis RPG podcast, visit www.forge. This